Hello, and welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're returning to the show, I'm absolutely thrilled. And if you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. You can follow me, your host, at jclaudedeering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handle on Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our Patreon and some cool Things Are Going Great For Me swag. The holidays are here. Why not treat yourself and a family member to some dignified swag? We've got hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags, so check them out and listen in comfort and style. You can find all our products in our link tree on our show Instagram page at Things Are Going Great For Me. On our link tree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from our Season 1, Season 2, and Season 3 guests, including our bonus Quarpod series, in which I ask guests about how they adjusted to life in quarantine and how the pandemic is continuing to change life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen, so if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And by the way, we're delighted to welcome back our sponsor for this series, Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be exceptional. Icelandic Glacial natural spring water sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon and at local retailers near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Tell your aunt about us. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming actors and comedians and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. I need to mention something up top here, which is that I lost a friend and an old teacher of mine this week. His name was Brad William Henke. He was beloved by audiences for his TV roles on shows like October Road, Lost, Justified, and The Office, and his film roles in Sherry Baby, Choke, Fury, and Bright. Perhaps most notably was Brad's SAG Award-winning turn as the uncompromising Desmond Desi Piscatella, the captain of the guards at Litchfield Penitentiary on Netflix's critically acclaimed hit series, Orange is the New Black. Most recently, Brad appeared in the dystopian Stephen King series, The Stand, playing Tom Cullen in another of his many breakout roles. I know Brad believed it was his best work to date. Brad was my acting teacher for about five years and my on and off friend for the following decade. Though we hadn't spoken much in the last 10 years, I loved him. I have lots of feelings about this. Uh, he was Out of nowhere, he was upset with me at one point for not having him on this podcast. and I was shocked that he cared. Of his many gifts, the best was building a community of the most unique, talented, gracious, and hardworking actors. Born in Nebraska and raised in Colorado, Brad played college football before heading to the NFL. Later, while playing for the Denver Broncos, Brad and his team went to the Super Bowl. 
A number of injuries had him turning to commercial acting at first, before he got into classes at Ivana Chubbuck's studio here in Los Angeles, where he first became an acting teacher. He was later discovered by the late great casting director Mally Finn for a role in North Country. He brought a similar competitiveness to his work ethic as an actor that he did in sports, and he taught acting like a football coach. As an acting teacher, he was on fire. I've never seen anyone teach with his particular understanding of people. He understood deeply that everyone wants something that their life depends on and that they're prepared to do anything to get it. He passed way too young. He'd be very happy to see all the love pouring in and the respect put on his name and his work. It's a heartbreaking loss. I wish his mother, sister, his wife, Sonia, his stepson, stepdaughter, and grandchild, and all his loved ones well. And may he rest in peace. Today's first guest is Gil McKinney. Gil is an actor and a singer, a Texas native and graduate of the University of Southern California School of Music, now residing in LA with his lovely wife and two wonderful kids. In the summer of 2017, he released his first solo EP, which shot to the top of the iTunes and Billboard charts. He followed this up with his release of a Christmas album in 2018. As an actor, Gills appeared in numerous television series, films, and commercials over his 20-year stretch in Hollywood. Notable TV roles include Dr. Paul Grady in ER, Derek Bishop in Friday Night Lights, Henry Winchester in Supernatural, and Prince Eric in Once Upon a Time. Gills also known for portraying Jack Kelso in the hit rock star video game L.A. Noir. In May of 2022, the indie thriller Metamorphosis was released on Prime Video, in which he stars in the leading role. And just yesterday, he reprised his role as Henry Winchester in the Supernatural prequel spinoff, The Winchesters, for the CW. Gil's a longtime friend, and this is a great chat. I'll be speaking with him in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my interview with Susie Abramite. Known for her breakout role as Pam in Netflix's Jessica Jones opposite Kristen Ritter, Susie Abramite has proven herself a force to be reckoned with. Before she made her mark on Hollywood, Susie came very close to her career as a professional tennis player, receiving a full scholarship to Duke University. She was one of the top-ranked players, number six in the U.S., helping her team earn a number one ranking and an NCAA title during her freshman year. Not long after, she decided to transition into pursuing music in addition to acting and modeling. Susie went on to perform a song with Fat Joe for Atlantic Records. The song Slow Your Roll became a summer hit playing on various radio stations. A few of her other songs that she performed, wrote, and produced became top-requested songs on local radio stations throughout Florida. From there, she graced the pages of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition while simultaneously making her film debut as the lead in the Lionsgate film Know Thy Enemy. Soon after, she began to book roles in films, such as Sidney White, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, set up alongside Bruce Willis, and the blockbuster hit Battle Los Angeles. Additional credits include King Richard, The Forever Purge, Chicago Med, Devious Maids, One Tree Hill, Tyler Perry's The Haves and Have Nots, Legends of Tomorrow, Code Black, Supernatural, and NCIS, among many others. Aside from her work on camera, Susie recently completed a pilot presentation that she wrote, produced, and starred in alongside Aaron Moriarty, Peter Facinelli, Kellen Lutz, Aluna Tall, and Ethan Peck. 
Susie also serves as an ambassador for Represent.us and Not For Sale, an organization that helps survivors of human trafficking. Stick around for Susie's interview. You're not going to want to miss it. But before we move on to interviews, I'm thrilled to welcome back my producer and my co-host, Winston Carter. Hey, how's it going? You know, I have never, for all our CIA jokes, I have never called you Agent Carter, and it was right there the whole time. Yeah, I know. There's even a show. That's even a show name. (laughs) It's even in the biz. How long did you work for the CIA again? I did not work for the CIA ever. <laughs> you just travel the world to odd places yeah. multiple times for, for most of your adult yeah. life. I was a courier. With no ex- I was just a courier. Oh, right. As a, cur- as a courier, a very yeah. non-suspicious uh, job yeah. title. Yeah, I carried bullets to their destination. No. Um, uh, no. <laughs> that would be a very time-consuming um, uh arm of some sort of uh military is like the people have to carry the bullets yeah that i mean that's part of it dude that's a huge transpose a huge part of the military um, <laughs> but they just do it as like one person at, like however many they can a, carry in a, ba- time. in a bag yeah just loose yeah. bullets yeah just loose bullets um yeah that would be the bullets are coming they will be here i did i applied once to be a state department courier in my See, younger this years, which about. would have this been already, awesome. This so suspicious already. That so would have been such suspicious. a cool job. That job's rad because you have to, like, you have, you're, like, the person who carries, like, like the, like, uh, oh, what are they called? It's not attache. It's, like, the, um, like, you basically carry, like, briefcases of sealed documents through customs and stuff. Like, so you would, like, like, if there were a bunch of secrets at an embassy and they need to get back to the U.S., you're the person who handles that. But sometimes they were like, sometimes it can be like a car. <laughs> like, it can be huge things sometimes. Or it can just be like three papers in a briefcase. Oh, they, yeah, because you got me confused with the briefcase, and then you said a car. And I was like, parts of the car? No, it can be like... In the briefcase? Some, like, no, it's but like sometimes... But what would you do with a car? You would you would They figure out how to transport it. But you're like you're like become an expert of like this is how the customs works because like See now you're this is a good like this a is a good road trip that'd be cool this is a good road trip movie right here yeah I'm yeah, always yeah. looking yeah. always on the hunt for a good road trip <laughs> yeah. movie and yeah. I think traveling with a what was it like a government car yeah like yeah like you're you're driving it's like driving it's like a road trip movie but you're like taking the car that like <laughs> is loaded oh you're taking like a james bond car and you don't know it that would be a blast oh my god that's a fun See, movie i think we just that's found a, a movie. fun movie all right that would how be do a we copyright blast. this so, so no one can steal it we said it here idea. first no, we're put, yeah we're putting it out there that would be i'm not joking that's a great movie because <laughs> you can I, see that movie I know what that movie I can, looks like. I can see it with you and me in it, yeah. Oh, man, what a blast. That'd be a great movie. Um, damn. <laughs> so, so, so Gil McKinney is, mm-hmm. he's, the, he's the first guest on this podcast uh, who's from Texas, which is kind yep. of odd. You know, there are mm-hmm. a lot of, I, I know a lot of folks from Texas. I, I, you know, he's yeah. the first one that I've had on the podcast. Um, we talk yeah, a little bit about- you won't make me a guest- you won't have me be. You'll just have me on every episode, but I never get to be a guest. <laughs> yeah, you just want to be called a guest because it sounds fancy. Yes. yes, I want to be like a guest on, on this podcast, and then it's something I host. That's really fun. Uh, but yeah, um, so we talked about. So Gil and I talked a little bit about. Um, you know, Texas has great arts programs, high school mm-hmm. programs. 
Uh, they've got great arts festivals like South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, for all of the money that Texas has and as big a state mm -hmm. as, as it is and all the talent that is there, it doesn't seem to be this burgeoning hub of TV and film the way that Georgia has become. And, you know, yeah. I, I was I was curious about that because, you know, Gil had said something about maybe it not having the right kind of freeway system that an Atlanta would have or an L.A. would have, you know, which I think is an interesting reason but you know you you know texas pretty well what, what, are, what are your thoughts I'm, i mean i think it's entirely based on tax revenue like taxes i mean georgia's really the reason everyone shoots in georgia but didn't is we they, aren't they we losing made everything cheap aren't we losing some of our great artists like <laughs> like like joe rogan to places like Texas? to I mean, austin oh yeah, yeah yeah they've become the pot the the controversial comedy hub of america oh, so a lot of like a lot of like like uh i don't tell people my boyfriend listens to this podcast hub of america <laughs> um i do think uh well austin is a austin definitely is like an art center like an art center and you do have like robert rodriguez and richard linklater working out of there right yeah that's but, right and great you, filmmakers and so, mm -hmm. yeah and you'll get movies occasionally i mean i think robert rodriguez shoots everything there but everything he does is like green screen right uh but you'd also do have like west like people forget wes anderson right. went to ut uh right. so like they do have a very good filmmaking program uh film and pro tv production program but it still pales in comparison i mean the truth of the matter is, is like, if there's not enough production to support people's jobs after that, then there's not enough people to like kind of come and go to have people like constantly lecturing on the processes as they change. Yeah. So that's like the upside that like, you know, your USC, your NYU, even I assume like, uh, I think Georgia Tech is in Atlanta. I assume Georgia Tech's going to end up with a really good film department just because right. every major mm -hmm. motion picture shoots there now. Um I when it comes to colleges, whether you go New York or L.A., I would say if you go New York, uh, I'd, as opposed to when I was in school, there's a lot more TV and film that shoots now mm. out of New York. So I think that has changed a little bit. It, when I went to school, I think it was a little different. It was like if you wanted to work in TV and film, you wanted to probably look at a program at a, like a USC mm. If you wanted to work in the theater, you know, probably New York. And that's probably still true about theater to some degree, although Chicago's got mm -hmm. some great theater going on and yep. some great schools like Northwestern and, you know, Loyola. But I think that um, TV-wise, I think that's a little different now. Like when I was in mm -hmm. college at NYU, the only TV show that was filming was like, you know, there were a few, but it was like Law and Order. Law and Order, and if, yeah. If you went to a Broadway show, you'd see every performer had their Law and Order episode. You know, mm -hmm. now you've got fantastic HBO shows, Netflix shows, all sorts yeah. of shows that shoot uh, out of New York City and the East Coast. And then other places. I mean, I would say to your point, I think that Georgia now would be a good place to look for a program mm -hmm. because there's just such a direct pipeline now. So I don't yeah. know necessarily the school. I don't know if it's Emory down there. I don't know the schools very well down in the Georgia area or mm -hmm. which have the best performing arts programs. But I would say, like, Georgia's – I would look at Georgia. or Yeah, uh, I think if Atlanta. you just put yourself as a local hire in those places, you're, like, putting yourself in a pretty good – that's – my big thing is if you really want to perform and you're not ready to be a full-fledged, like, living on your own, scrapping by adult, which I think is – I was not – I went to college because I was like, I can't – there's no way I'm ready to be, a, a, like, just living out there person yet. <laughs> um I think, yeah, I think New York or LA is where you have to take yours. I mean, if you're in the United States, you could also go to like 
Uh, you know, there's plenty of great schools in London, but also you're kind London's of tricky. I yourself just, in a weird I just way. spoke with somebody. I was just at, a, at this wedding in Ireland, and I met someone mm. there at the wedding who is uh, an American, and they had spent a long time. They had gone to school in the U.K. for performing arts. And I asked them about it because I just said, is it tough? Because there is a little bit of a like, there's some, there's a real nationalistic sort of spirit yep. about the, Brit, the the theater in Britain, which is mm-hmm. like, we're British. And there's a lot of pride there. And there's, uh, and you know, and the theater there is great, but it is a little weird. If you're, it's a tr- it can be tricky. And this person, yeah. they, that they shared that sentiment. It can be a little tricky. If you're just the odd American there, every once in a while, there might be a role where they need an American, but oftentimes yeah. they're trying to get their Brits to do the American accent do, and stuff yeah, and, so. and, and become a big star in Hollywood. So I wouldn't yeah. bank necessarily if you're an American on doing your, I mean, you'll get great training there, but I would say, come yeah. on back to the United States after you're done. If yeah. you, if you get yeah. into one of those great programs, I would say it, it, that's a real 50, 50 after you graduate, do yeah. you stay I, or do you return to the States? But I think if, especially as undergrad, you're trying to put yourself in a place like where you have energy and are already in the place to do the thing. Like, there's no reason. If you want to perform an act and you want to be on film and television, put yourself in a city where that stuff gets made. So, like, those years yeah. that you're also – you're already working on your craft literally for your job, which is going to school. Then also you can still go to auditions and you can do all that stuff. Like, you could be doing all that groundwork in a course – over the course of getting a degree – I got I got to audition for the occasional off Broadway show when I was at NYU mm-hmm. and that I think mm-hmm. was a good experience. Yeah. Then you could be like like Baron Vaughn was where he was he went to BU in mm-hmm. Boston, which is a fantastic program. Mm-hmm. Boston's got a few fantastic programs uh, for for acting. MIT has a great acting conservatory. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harvard has a pretty good one with ART, but mm-hmm. I think that you know I don't know if they're still connected anymore actually. But uh, but what Baron then does is he gets into the the comedy, the Boston comedy scene, mm-hmm. which is a, which has historically mm-hmm. always been a great scene. It's where folks like Mark Marin came up, and uh, y- you know a bunch of people came up in the in the in the Boston mm-hmm. scene. And you know he then gets he starts touring colleges after sort of making mm-hmm. a bit of a go of it in Boston. That gets him started on his co- touring as a college comedian. Um, so you know you certainly want to be in. Uh, I would probably recommend that you're somewhere near a bigger city. Yeah. Let's just say yeah. that, you know, I think that's and I think call. each city has some wonderful opportunities. Chicago. I wish I could speak more to Chicago, but listen, let's just talk about it. You've got the Goodman theater. You've got the mm-hmm. Steppenwolf theater. You've got victory gardens. You've got, uh, uh, second city. You've got, yeah, you got you, second the, city. You got annoyance. You've got like, yeah, you've got yeah. multiple outlets. The, the key is like, for instance, so you went to school at NYU. I went to school at Oklahoma State University. There weren't, there was one community theater. <laughs> like, so like, I do think like if, cause I knew people who were performance majors and I'm like, cool, that's great. I totally, but also it does not seem like there's a lot of, you can't. Do you know any of them who, any, who, who, who are making I mean, a go of the, the most famous person from Oklahoma, who went to Oklahoma State, who acted is James Marsden. That's the, that's I mean, the big one. That's not bad. That's a pretty good that's one. That's a good one. But yeah. uh, but that's it. Like I mean, there's other people who I who, no, there, that's not true. There are other people who are doing well, and OU had some people, which is closer to a bigger city. But it's like we're talking out of thousands and thousands of people, one or two who have like legitimate careers, like more yeah. like you know, 
And I'm sure there's people I'm not thinking of. But, well, that's, I think, uh, a major part of it. I think like, a big part of it is, like, the same way that when you're going ahead and, like, picking an agent or a manager, you want to look at, like, what are their clients working on. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think similarly, it's like, you know, if you're looking for a program to apply to or audition for, um, you should look at, like, what are their graduates doing, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Anyway, it's a good conversation. There's some nutritional stuff for people. Hopefully. I think that's I think I think that's important stuff that like no one. I think I could have figured that out. Like, oh, if I really want to be an actor, I should go to one of these places where actors are at. But no one tells you that when you're not. I mean, especially I was like doing like high school plays and stuff. I wasn't doing a ton of other stuff, and that would have been good to hear. Is like, hey, if you really want to do this, if you really think you're serious about this. You don't, it's not, because I feel like a lot of times people are like, oh, it's leaping off the deep end or not. And I'm like, I think as much as I don't think everyone needs a college degree and it can be a horrendous way to put yourself in terrible debt, it can also be a very good yeah. safe haven in one of these bigger, to me, for coming from Oklahoma, relatively scarier big cities to be like, oh, I have the small community I can branch out from within it. Um, and knowing like yeah. the friends I have who all went to USC not most of them not for performance, but are doing like pretty well in the industry. And I'm like, Oh, they have like really, really good opportunities like just for internships or to understand how the business works in ways that like, I would argue like any of my friends at graduating USC understood how the industry works better than anyone on campus at Oklahoma state (laughs) professors, anyone like, uh, so I'm like, Oh, I think that's, important it's important knowledge but you know what it also yes it is and, and i think it, what's important also is that like somebody along the way tells you uh that it's a job that you can mm-hmm. do like tony to you said like he didn't know that this is mm-hmm. john clarence stewart i think said something similar like it was like at some point it was like oh wait that's a job <laughs> you can yeah. be an actor i you know be like it's oh. just one one adult who just demystifies it for you. And for me, I got lucky mm-hmm. that that happened to me in um, fifth grade. I had a music teacher who mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, they're you know you got a good singing voice, and they need kids for a production in uh, this you know show, and yeah. you should go audition." And then I just was lucky enough that I booked that first professional job, and and you know then I remember yeah, so having a very took- clear thought in my mind, which was like, other people really want to do this. Mm. And <laughs> I'm 11 and I'm working already. Yeah. I should just, I'm killing it. I should yeah. just keep going. So, I mean, and, and I, I've of course been a, like a, 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 a you know, a medium spectacular failure at making a, a great living doing it. But it's, I think that like, <laughs> ultimately if a person, but I still love it. And I think like yeah. if a person and I'm lucky that I get to love it and do it and have my day jobs that help me to allow me to do it. And I think like, mm-hmm. you know, if a person just wants to get on TV, I would tell them like, it's probably, it's, it's probable. If that's yeah. what you care about, you want to get on TV and do one episode of TV. I would say it's probable oh, yeah. that, that you're going to make that happen. I yeah. think that, that that's anybody because you can yeah, teach that's an acting. achievable goal. Yeah. It's very achievable. I think the thing that is much harder is making like a great living doing it and people just need to know the difference there. So so long yeah. as it's so long as people feel like nourished by the work itself that they get a buzz out of just being part of it. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's a lot that feels very fulfilling in life doing mm-hmm. this. Um 
but you got to be okay with where you're at and you got to be, you got to work hard, but also I think like not hate yourself the whole time. If you can manage that balance, you'll, it's a fun life. I think it'd be like if, if someone was like, I like being a firefighter, but only when I'm in the middle of a fire blowing out and I hate the rest of firefighting. See, I just want to fight. I just want to fight one fire. Yeah, yeah, That's but if I, someone's I, like, I just want to fight one fire, but like, we can make you fight one fire. We can make that like, happen for you. Yeah. But like, but like, firefighting, I assume, is a lot of like training and putting hoses away and chesting <laughs> equipment and cleaning stuff. You know, like, like, there's a whole side of it that is the job. Got to pay your dues. And the, the firefighting is probably a relatively limited amount of their day. <laughs> So if someone's like, oh, I love it when I'm on set, I'm like, well, that's not – the job is auditioning. The on set is, like, the fun part. But we're not going to do better than that. All right. We're, gonna, we're, going to, we're going to interviews here. All right, folks. Without, without further ado, here now is the multi-talented, fun, and charming Gil McKinney. Long time. Yeah, we met pretty early after I had moved to LA, and uh, but you were here years before I arrived because you went to USC. That's correct. Um, well, before before we get into that, when did you move to LA? I moved out to LA in two thousand four, and then I okay. went back to New York for a year, and then I came back out in two thousand five. Came here in two thousand four. I did a, an internship at a Sony company called Screen Gems. For okay, a summer. Sure, sure. And our friend Marissa was working over at Gracie Films, right? Isn't it Gracie? Isn't that what it that was? Sound, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, okay. The folks who did The Simpsons. So she was working there. And then she, so she used to drive us both to the Sony lot in the morning because I couldn't drive yet. I didn't have a driver's license. I had been a city kid for so long and I had yeah. never needed to get a driver's license. So I didn't, eventually I got my driver's license. I was 23 years old. Wow. Um, but then anyway, I went back to New York for about a year and then I came back out uh ready to hit it or quit it uh yeah so that was so my I story. Must so have, I, I must have met you around what 2005 2006 i think something like that that makes something sense. like that well i've i've learned something new about you and marissa this morning <laughs> um yeah i came out to la when i was 18 i i uh, came out to go to to usc I was, this was, this was in 1997. Okay. Uh, and I uh, came out to, um, uh, to USC and was in the music school, got a bachelor of arts degree in music, graduated yeah. in, in 2001. And for the most part, I've been in, in Los Angeles ever since. Um, uh, my wife, Kristen, who you know very well, and I spent a, a, the better part of a year uh, in New York City um for her work and uh but other than that i i've been in la quite some time now oh yeah that was that that was a fun year maybe we'll talk a little about that they but so i want to ask you about this music program you so you're there you are are you studying classical music were you doing german and italian arias or are you doing like musical theater stuff I was doing uh i was doing more the classical uh uh routes in the beginning um i uh, well, as you as you well know, um, USC is a private school. It's it's quite pricey, 
Um, it was back then. And now I believe it's it's probably doubled. Uh, the tuition has doubled uh, uh, since I was there. <clears throat> but uh, I, I earned a, um, a half scholarship, which, uh, you know, at the time, I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to do music or acting. I knew that I loved both, but I got a half scholarship to be in the music program. So, um, you know, um, for my parents, I decided to go that route so that it wouldn't burden them as much financially. And uh, so for the first two years at USC, I was doing a lot of arias, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, classical music. It was more of that intense. Uh, I, I guess at that point I was in the Bachelor of Music program and, and vocal performance, which is basically like kind of an, an opera uh, route. Yeah, and, that's uh, cool. Yeah. So while I while I appreciated that and, and enjoyed it at times, I never, I just, I, that didn't feel like what, that didn't feel like me. It didn't feel like what I wanted to do really. So. Did you um, know that going into the program or when you got to, I mean, cause you're coming to LA. So are you thinking to yourself, eventually I'm going to see about moving into an acting pro or, or just trying to be an actor? Yeah. I think, I think in the back of my mind, that was what I always really wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I don't think that I realized how intensive the, the uh, vocal arts program would be. And, uh, it didn't really leave a whole lot of room for me to do other things like, even like take, you know, an acting class at USC. So um, I did the best I could and then had a long uh, conversation with my parents after being there two years. And they, uh, I don't want to say begrudgingly, but they, they wanted me to be happy and they realized that that's not the route that I wanted to go. So so we uh, forfeited the half scholarship and uh, I switched my major to uh, a, a Bachelor of Arts uh, degree in music. So starting my junior year, my curriculum was opened up to do more musical theater, take more acting classes, kind of just do nice. more of that kind of stuff. Sure. And uh, so that, I wasn't, I wasn't that, required to do the opera training as, well, as all, I had previously. I, I had done a little sort of opera training before applying to college. It is very cool. I mean, and when you, to be able to be in any kind of an opera, like where you're, you're, doing any kind of opera it's like the voices that you hear get to hear oh. in in class must have just been just blow the doors off the rim right absolutely absolutely i mean the level of talent at uh in that music program at usc was uh was was fantastic and um you know i mean it was it was quite intimidating at times i mean um but but i did my best to hang in there uh i i just think at a certain point i realized that that wasn't the route that i wanted to go and and uh but yeah it was it, it was great i mean you know i i was in in all kinds of music classes music theory uh composition and and some yeah. of these some of the people that i was in class with i mean to this day um you know they've they've made uh big names for themselves uh in in the music world so oh, cool. uh, the yeah the level of talent was 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 phenomenal Frankly. So it's hard, you know, because I one of the things I remember because I, you know, so I opted to sing in my audition for NYU because I thought it would help me get into Tish. Uh, right. I guess it did. But I think my plan was always to transfer to an acting studio and focus on non-musical acting material for at least, you know, half my education. But, you sure. know, it's like so but one of the things I noticed, it's hard at first to, because you're you're acting those arias as well. And it's like it's hard at first to act some of those kind of uh, either musical theater songs or, you know, or, you know, particularly the older musicals or arias, because it's like, you know, 
in our case, we like you know we're doing a whole scene from a musical, from like Oklahoma or Carousel or right. something. Sure. And you know, so you're working on, and we're working on the same scene for like four or five months, like a full semester. And the language is tough because it's like sure. it's so big in scope. And you know, you're you're if you're singing a song like "If I Loved You," mm-hmm. it demands that you use your whole heart. And when you're 19 years old, you barely know what love is at that point outside of loving your family. I mean, did you find that when you were singing some of those old classics? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, I, I I feel like I, um, I've been a late bloomer in in a lot of areas in my life, but I definitely at 18, 19 years old, uh, I don't think I was even able to grasp, um, uh, you know uh what it was i was singing half the time especially when it came to the classical stuff you know uh, I, I was doing my best to get the language down and then trying to connect you know the story and the emotion of it all that was something that i i i'm not sure that i was even really ready uh to handle uh maybe a little more so with musical theater than than the opera but uh um yeah i mean you know at 19 years old i was I was still a kid. I was, you know, I'm from a small town in, in, in Texas, small town south of Houston. And yeah. uh, all, all of a sudden I'm in Los Angeles and 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 uh, going to USC and, you know, big, a big I, I wanted to I still wanted to be a kid, frankly. I mean, I wanted to go yeah. to football games. I wanted to be in the fraternity. I, well, I was going to do ask that. you about that, because, yeah, I mean, if you're going <laughs> to do a voice program the, like the one you did or, you know, you're interested, maybe you're interested in acting at that point to some degree. And it's like there is also there's also Juilliard. And I, so sure. my, was that a <laughs> sort of a conscious decision on your part? Like, uh, did you think of ever about Juilliard or did you think? Because your your answer is makes a lot of sense, you know, football games, fraternities, good fun college life. Juilliard historically terrifying <laughs> college yeah. experience for people, but Correct. also has all you know its very own special prestige. If I remember, and, and being in New York City, I guess. Right? Yeah, I I think I was, uh, I think I was at the time. If I remember, so long ago, but you know, New York City to me felt like too big of a jump. I don't, I, I didn't feel like I was ready to do that. Um, I, if I remember correctly, I, I think I applied for the Tisch acting program, did not get in. I got into the music school. So that was definitely on the table. Um, but I, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I actually, I, if I remember, I, I applied to 12 different schools. It was, it was quite oh, wow. an intensive application process all over the country. And um, at the end, I kind of, I had committed to going to SMU in Dallas, oh, yeah. um, which has a great music and, and acting program as well. And, uh, and then at the last minute, my, my dad came to me and he said, you know, I know we're, I know you're going to go to SMU, but I've, I booked these flights to go to LA to go to USC and, and check it out. Do you want to just go? And let's, let's, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. So my dad and I flew out here, and I'm telling you the first day on campus um, when the USC uh, marching band came out and the song girls and uh, it, it was just and the way it was 75 degrees outside and absolutely stunningly beautiful. And and I was like, this is this is where I want to be. And, yeah. you know, and I also had that idea in my head that maybe if I was going to pursue the acting thing, L.A. or New York would be better um, than Dallas, frankly. Um 
and uh, and I just yeah, I didn't feel like I was quite ready for New York City. I still don't know that I'm I'm really That's what I ready hear for from New York people. City. Yeah, so it's like well, I, I've heard from LA, folks who, are, who other USC friends. I remember actually it was our uh, uh, Will Greenberg, who a guy mm-hmm. that we both know, also from sure. Texas. He was he I believe he was there uh, in the BFA program when I was yeah you uh, must have known there. you knew him and you must have known Patrick J Adams who I've also had you on know this. I don't I don't recall Patrick yeah. I think Patrick is a couple years younger than me if I'm not mistaken um, uh, I could be wrong I think he's a couple years behind me I don't recall Patrick um, of course I know who he is now um, but I do recall I think Will and I were possibly the same same year um, and how about Robert Baker. And Robert Baker, of course. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember Robert Baker absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see yeah. Robert every once in a while in a poker game. Um, I had yeah. two uh, two of my best friends at USC, uh, both actors. Um, uh, Stark Sands was in the uh, BFA program there, and uh, Eric Layden was also in the acting program. Um, hmm. And so, and they were both fraternity brothers of mine, and um, they're both working actors today. Eric's uh, still in California. I believe he's in San Diego now, and Stark uh, lives outside um, New York City, and and he's, he's you know made a splash on Broadway a few times. So yeah, but but through those guys, I you know met Will and Robert, and uh, yeah, so a you're, long time ago. You're so you're the first person I think that I've had on this program that is from Texas. What, what was it oh, like? Wow. What was it like growing up there? You know, I mean. I, it was all I knew at the time. Um, when I say small town, it's definitely grown in the past, you know, 25 plus years since I left. But uh, um, I think when I was when I was there, I think my graduating high school class was 315. Okay. And uh, I graduated number four overall, which. What, uh, what does that mean? You. Yeah, I, wait I was, a minute! I, and you're, you yeah. graduated number four out of your class of 315 <laughs> students for your yeah, grades. I sure did. Yeah, for my grades. I didn't I was, know that you were such a. Oh I, yeah. I, I pardon me for not <laughs> knowing that you were a brain. A brain. I mean, well, I know you're a smart guy, but I, I mean, was that's uh, like four out of 315. That's yeah, damn good. What, know, did thanks, you man. did you destroy on your uh, SATs and stuff? I wouldn't say I destroyed. I'd say, I'd say maybe average a little above average you know i was a i i worked hard um yeah. i was yeah i was always a good student uh i worked very hard i always wanted to do good and that was very important to me um and i wow. i don't i don't really recall my parents putting pressure on me to to work so hard i think it was more just something i did uh to myself but yeah i, I just worked really hard and um but as far as sats go yeah i mean uh, uh, I think it was, it was average. I mean, it was enough at the time to get into USC, you know, and yeah. and I think the only schools, oh man, I think the only schools that I did not get into that I applied to, one was Yale um, and maybe the other I'm thinking of would, would be Tish, but but um, yeah, I mean, it was maybe a little above average at the time. You know, there are a lot of arts programs in Texas and cool arts and film festivals like South by Southwest. Sure. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. Like, wh- why don't you think Texas has become the hub for film and television that a state like Georgia has? Wow, that's a great question. I mean, I I, I don't know enough about the all the uh, the tax breaks that go on in the different states. Mm, yeah. um, you know, obviously that's a huge incentive for producers to to produce uh, TV and film in, in other places like uh, Atlanta. Um, yeah. 
you know, Austin for, for a while there was, it seemed to be, I mean, there's always been a film community in Austin. Um, and for a while there, it, uh, there were several shows going there. I'm not sure if that slowed down because of uh, changes in the, in the tax breaks or, you know, Austin's a great city. It, it, um, but it's structurally, it's not really, it's not really uh, set up to handle the amount of people that all of a sudden wanted to move to Austin, Texas. Um, it's not, it doesn't have a system of freeways like Los Angeles does, you know? So mm, I don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if maybe that was a part of it. I just know that the traffic in Los and, and, and excuse me, in, in Austin is it's terrible. And, uh, there's a lot of people that want to live there and move there, uh, just in the past, you know, five to 10 years, it's, it's really exploded. So mm. maybe it's a logistically, it's a, it's a challenge for production. Um, um, and, and, and I, I'm not sure that I can. Have I'm you ever, sure have you ever shot anything in Texas? I, I did actually. Yeah. I got to work yeah. on uh, Friday night lights. Uh, which, oh yeah. That's right. I which, want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Which shot in, in Austin. And that was, uh, that was, that was, you know, that was like a dream come true kind of job. Um, yeah. For me. Um, so, and then, so you, you graduate from USC. How, how did, how did you get your first agent out of college? Oh, wow. My first agent, um, man, I can't even remember the name of the agency. I mean, we're talking small time, uh, in Encino. Uh, and I mean, this is going way back, man. This is going back where literally I, all I remember very, very nice man. Couldn't tell you his name, but behind his, <laughs> behind him, <laughs> behind him, uh, at his desk, the wall was just papered with headshots of all his clients, you know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cause yeah. I think, I think back in the day agents would sit there and they would get the breakdowns and they would look at their wall, you know, and be like, who do I have that fits this, uh, fits the bill for this role. Yeah. Um, that one didn't last very long, but I, I believe, uh, well, I, I don't believe I know. I, I did a, I did a mass mail out of, of headshots and resumes, you know, yeah. and, uh, there really wasn't anything on the resume except school stuff and, you know, high school and college plays and musicals and that sort of thing. Um, but that was, I did a mass mail out for that. And then, um, shortly thereafter, I think I might've been doing a play or something where I, where I met a manager. Um, it could have even been either a player could have been, a uh, an acting class I was taking that had like, you know, industry night. And, uh, yeah, right. I, <clears throat> I met a manager, um, named, uh, Claudine Vaca and Claudine, um, uh, she was wonderful. She was wonderful in the beginning and she opened some doors for me and <clears throat> I left the uh, small time agency fairly quickly because I realized it, it really just wasn't, um, it wasn't working. And she got me a meeting at Don Buckwald and Associates. Oh, wow. Nice. And at the time I was, I believe I was, gosh, this is, yeah, I was, I was 21, maybe, um, 21, 22. Uh, they had a youth division at Buckwald. Um, and they initially started me in the youth division, even though I was, cause I, you know, yeah. I mean, even at 21, 22 years old, I was <clears throat> I looked fairly young and I was uh, still being submitted for, you know, 15 roles that played 15 years old. <clears throat> and um, yeah, so I started in the youth division at Buckwald. Um, 
maybe caught a little bit of traction, booked a co-star or two, and then uh, caught the eye of Julia Buckwald, um, moved up to the adult division. Thankfully, that felt much better. Uh, and then I was with Julia for several years and, wow. and, um, and she was, she was wonderful. She was a wonderful agent and, and she helped kind of really get the ball rolling and, and, you know, a slew of co-stars then just led to, you know, sporadic guest stars here and there. Um, yeah. So it looked like maybe, uh, maybe it took only a couple of years then if you graduate in 2001 because 2003 starts to look like a, a, you're a really good year because you're i mean based on your credits it, it says it has you playing young elvis in a film called elvis has left the building starring kim basinger john corbett right that's right you <clears throat> you also recurred on a david e kelly show called the brotherhood of poland new hampshire starring that randy <laughs> quaid right. and that's mayor right. winningham yeah. What was that? What was that like? And uh, Randy Quaid, Mayor Winningham, um, uh, Chris Penn. Yeah, that's uh, right. I saw that. Yeah. And awesome. um, yeah, I'm pointing that gun at my brother. <laughs> Isn't that what he says in Reservoir Dogs? <laughs> yeah. <that's right. laughs> um, yeah, that was. I believe that was my first. That was my first job, actually. Um, so uh looking back i i I had to check my sag card because i i've lost track of of all the years but i joined sag in 2002 and just quickly because it's uh it is what it is but i i joined sag and how i got my sag card was i worked as a uh, a handful of background actors on the movie jeepers creepers 2 oh cool oh yeah wait i saw that on there but i think it your credit was like team member is that team i think they have it as team member i think i'm not even sure if it's on my imdb it looks like you were working on the movie but not acting in it i try exactly there were so uh the movie takes place pretty much the entire film takes place on a school bus so they're and it's a basketball team on their way home from a basketball tournament and uh, so they they needed uh like five or six extra team members to be on the bus to fill ah, out the, that the kind team. of team member got it and yeah so yeah so i uh i i agreed to to do that i'd read i read for the the film didn't get offered a role but the director liked me and and offered um uh offered me a place and a, a chance to earn my sag card so i spent uh two or three months working on that film uh, hmm. you know al- almost every week there might have been a couple weeks off in the middle um but uh yeah i worked on i worked on that film and and it was you know it was really good for me it was it was a lot of fun um i met still one of my best friends to this day uh billy aaron brown who i believe you know oh Um, yeah right yes i do yeah um so billy uh yeah billy and i have have stayed close all these years but he was one of the he actually had um a part in the film (laughs) uh speaking wise um so anyway it was a lot of fun did that my first first acting job, first time, uh, uh, you know, a director called action and was talking to me was the Brotherhood of Poland, New Hampshire. And <laughs> and I was doing a scene. Oh, the other the other lead actor was John Carroll Lynch. Oh, I saw that, too. I, very right. cool. One of my favorite yeah. actors. Yeah, I mean, the guy's in everything. Right. Is he it's from phenomenal. Texas? He seems like he's from somewhere in the south. I don't I don't, I don't know that. that. I'm not sure where he's from. Um, very very nice man so and then how many how many tv pilots do you think you've tested for oh man at this point you know at that at that point in my in my career 
No, I mean, total now. Total. Oh man. You know, early on, I mean, I've been doing this, man. I, like I said, I looked at my SAG cards as 2002. I'm like, wow, 20 years, you know, the, the first 10 years have been so different than the last 10, uh, in that regard. Um, in the first 10, when I was, I was doing, you know, getting these guest stars here and there, and, uh, there would be, you know, what used to be a real, like, pilot season um as yeah. you know and like i mean there were there were i would have an audition a day sometimes two sometimes three a day there were so many wow. auditions for these pilots that i i yeah. didn't even feel like i really had time to prepare for a lot of them yeah yeah but sure but i will say there was one pilot season and i couldn't tell you what years it was, was mid 2000s there was one pilot season I think I tested for like 10 pilots and holy shit. Yeah. And, and, and the worst part is I didn't get a single one of them. Wow. And that was, and that wow. was, that was like very uh, soul crushing <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Because um, it's a lot of you're, you, So each one of those has got to be its own, at least four auditions to get to network. I mean, you got to oh, yeah. do casting director, sure. then you got to do producers, then you got to do studio, then for you sure. got to do network. Right. Right. And, what a um, what a tremendous amount of stress you must have been under during that well, time. Yeah, and you, I mean, and the make, thing is, you don't get paid for any of it. <laughs> no, you don't get paid for any of it. And, uh, and once you get to the end and you sign that contract before yeah. you walk into the room, you see how much you could be making. Be making. Now, which, your, you know, your quote by the end of all that must have been, that must have at it, least bumped your quote. Just, just those 10 must have bumped your quote up. Well, it did and it, right? it did and it didn't. I mean, it definitely bumped it up, but unless you earn that quote by booking one of those pilots, it's hard to really, I don't hold know how to that quote. Yeah. It's, it's hard to really hold on to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and I think, I think that year, um, it was either that year or the year prior. I mean, I've, I've had some, it's, it's been a bumpy road for me, but I, I booked a, I booked a pilot. It wasn't a series regular, but I booked a, um, I booked a, a recurring guest star if this pilot was to go and it was a sitcom. I have, I have to this day, I still haven't been back on a sitcom soundstage as an actor. Um, it was, uh, it was called title town. And I was to play the, I believe it was one of the, there were, there were three families that lived in green Bay, Wisconsin, all on a cul-de-sac and they're all big mm-hmm. Packer fans. Hence the title town. And, uh, I was the son, I was the a son in one of the families, I believe. And, um, um, I'll just say this story real quick because it just brings up all kinds of stuff. But we worked all week, rehearsed all week. We're getting ready for, you know, the live audience situation. And it was April Fool's. And the director comes in and tells everyone that by the end of the day, we're all not going to be here. That they're that they're going to have to cut down this cast. And and then she follows that with April Fool's. And and I'm sitting there like that's not funny. No, that's not that's funny not, at all. That's, that's not like, funny at all. No. But to make it even worse, that night I got a call from my manager that they had cut my character. This from is the, the fucking. Pilot. This is the thing about LA, which is so. It's like, <laughs> particularly you know, if you're a creative. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I, I bet this applies to everybody. I don't think anybody is safe from this in LA. Whether you're an actor, right? You're an executive. You're a writer. What? Like there can be a carelessness in the way that people treat each other. That is, it's so funny because it's like there, there's a whole other part of the way that you deal with, you know, dealing with folks in LA. It's like you give, 
you work very hard to be gracious with people. You work very hard to pay, make sure that you're taking care of, um, uh, you know, a person's sense of dignity and sense of self. And like, so there's, a, it, it's really this two-sided coin where it, it yeah. can be very stark and strange and and cruel. Absolutely. And then also <laughs> there's, and then the other side of the coin is people working uh, very hard on, being empathetic and you know but the, you never I, th I guess you just never really know what you're gonna get you never know and and that's that's one of the hardest things as you know uh about being an actor is is the lack of of power really unless you're you know a big name and you can you know you can you can call some shots um but at that time in my career i mean i and, and I, I didn't understand it. I didn't under, they, they didn't, they didn't recast me. They just wrote the character out of, yeah, out of yeah. the show for some reason. They felt like he wasn't necessary for the pilot. Maybe they bring him in, in later. Anyhow. I've heard those this, stories too. And it's the, like, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're very not alone with that story. It's like, I've heard the story where someone, they test, they go all the way to a network test, book the damn thing. They yeah. actually go to shoot the thing, but they have a table read before they shoot it. So they, the, this actor goes to the table read, <laughs> they get fired after, fired the, table after the table read. I mean, it's just, it's brutal. I mean, thankfully, yeah, thankfully that, I mean, I, that's never happened, happened to me. Um, but, but yeah, like to think that you could get that far and to book the thing and then you're still not done. No, you know, you're, you're still never done. You're not getting the audience. You're never getting it's always the Sopranos. Like it's oh, always man. you could get <laughs> it could they could take you out at any right. moment. Right. And, um, and the level, yeah, the level of anxiety, uh, especially like at that point in my career. I mean, frankly, like I had tests where I I fell flat on my face. Like I I, I buckled under the pressure. Well, that, know, happens. And, and, that happens. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I say, so, so every once in a while, if I'm if I'm ever teaching a class, I you know students sometimes I, a student might ask like, "Do you think I'm ready to audition?" And I'm like, "Just audition. Who cares?" I was like, "Because right. you know the idea of like, oh well, I don't want to make a bad impression. I, I'm always like, you're, you'll only make a bad impression <laughs> if you're an asshole." Yeah. Because right. I was like, because actors of all stages of their career still fall on their face in audition. Sure. So if you have a, sure. you know, if it doesn't, if it's not your best audition, that's not the biggest problem. It's, you know, just don't be an asshole. Like, you know, but right. put, your, put yourself out there because it, it happens yeah. at all levels that you have, a, you know, your read didn't, didn't go great. When I tested for a pilot, the only pilot I tested for, it was, it came down to three of us for network. Mm -hmm. And we were over at NBC and it was a small little room and uh, I went third, which is not mm. great. And mm. the guy who went before me, who's a funny guy, but he was screaming his lines in that mm. room, screaming mm. them like not a human being, mm. like the top of his lungs. And I just, but, and here's the most terrifying part. They were laughing. They oh, were, goodness. they were falling out of their chairs in there. And then I had to go. Oh, you know, man. so by the time That's... I got to my and I had done very well at studio, but when I did that network test after this person had gone and I was the third, they'd heard the lines twice, all 30 people in this room. Right. Uh, you know, I cracked a joke at the top, which got a, they got a big laugh. Uh huh. But then going into the read, like it was like, prove it. 
after, yeah. after what we just saw, you know, it's, right. it's, it's hard to nail it every single five well, times in did, a row. Uh, do, do you know if that, if that guy is the one that ended up getting the part? They didn't, I've talked about this one network test a few times on here. They didn't, yeah. they just decided not to make the pilot after all that. Interesting. After all that. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of times, I mean, from what I understand in, in scenarios like that, um, and maybe not in this one, but sometimes they'll, they'll know who their, who their guy or girl is. And then sure. the, yeah. uh, the other couple are there kind of as window dressing, just as a formality, maybe there's something there, or maybe there's someone in the room that is really pulling for you. But a lot of times going into those, those final stages, they kind of, uh, they have an idea who their, their guy is. Um, that's yeah. not to say that you can't win it over, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've had I've had those experiences where I I felt like my I felt like I left my body in the room, like I yeah, just like yeah I it, yeah um, I hear it from all sorts of actors where they're like sure. or you know so I remember an actor saying to me that who works a lot and they were saying um, they were not expecting the there was an interview portion you know where okay. they went in and it was producers <laughs> or something and the. The, the casting folks started asking them like so tell us a little about yourself and that's where they choked or oh, they wow. felt you yeah. know they were like well i wasn't ready for that and i didn't and i i answered questions like an idiot they <laughs> they yeah. thought yeah um so yeah you know it's it's it, to be polished in every moment to have or to suspend your thing of like do they like me or not it's hard right it it is hard it's hard and uh um you know, they, I mean, as you know, the, I, I mean, there. I guess there's still. I don't know if there's really a pilot season in the traditional sense anymore, but they, the last five to ten years, things have changed so much. You know, I couldn't sure. even. Yeah. I couldn't tell you the last uh, pilot I tested for. Um, well, let me do this it, instead. It, let me yeah. do this instead. I want to ask you. So when I met you, uh, when I met you, you were playing. I believe you were playing Dr. Paul Grady on ER. Now that's right. <clears throat> ER, that was appointment television and sure. a very prestigious show. It looks like sure. you did 23 episodes of yeah, ER. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Could you, could you talk a little bit about what, what did you do to land that part? So that was, um, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've had a couple uh, jobs that have been like, like I, like I mentioned, Friday Night Lights, uh, ER, like dream jobs, like uh, the scenario with that one was I, I, I had just started working with a new manager um, who had a good rapport with that show and that casting director. Mm -hmm. And I found out that my previous manager did not. And so I, that's why I had never even been in that room. Um, it was the first time I'd, I ever went in to read for the show. Um, I went in, I read for casting, um, John Levy, and then they brought me back, I think the next day for producers. And it was, I don't know, two or three short scenes. It was to be a recurring guest star, uh, playing a, a new young doctor in, in the hospital and uh, named, named Paul Grady. And um, and it just, it was it was a fun audition. I, I felt like I nailed, I felt like I nailed it. I, I left feeling really good, um, but you never know. And then I, I got the call that I got it. And uh, I was I was just, I, I couldn't believe it. I probably cried. I was so happy. Oh my God, um, yeah. You know, I, that's- So it was just, it was just casting producers. 
that was it. Yeah, that was this it. Is, this um, is the way I'd love to build a career. It's like, forget the, the testing and all this stuff. Just <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a recurring a, character. It was, you know? it, was a, it was a recurring guest star. So I didn't yeah. have to go through all of that other, all, all that other uh, stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, like uh, ER, when I, when I was a kid, ER was, I mean, Huge. I watched, I, it was, it was massive. It was, it, nobody had ever done anything like that on TV before, you know, the walk and talks, the going from room to mm. room. They, I, it was just, I was so, so enamored with it. And uh, I mean, I was glued to my TV every Thursday night watching that show. So cut to all these years later, um, uh, I believe, uh, gosh, when, when was the, the first, I mean, the first uh, season of VR was what, early nineties. So, yeah. Um, you know, I cut to all these years later, it's season 14 of ER and I get to go read for it. And all of a sudden I'm going in to do a wardrobe fitting. I'm going in to get fitted for, for my white, my white coat. And, uh, and it, it's just, it was, it was so cool. I remember being in, in my wardrobe fitting and, I find, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I find wardrobe people usually have have all the information or I'm able to get information out of wardrobe people before oh, yeah. anyone else. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've gotten a little, yeah. uh, the scuttlebutt from the, yeah. from wardrobe, sure. So I'm in there, I'm in there getting fitted for, for wardrobe and I'm so excited. And uh, the episode where they introduce uh, my character, um, they're also introducing a new attending uh, physician for the hospital. And and I assumed that it was going to be, you know, someone well-known or, uh, you know, a, a seasoned actor. And uh, so I asked Wardrobe, who was playing um, uh, Dr. Moretti, I believe was his name. And and uh, they said, you don't know? And I said, no, that's why I'm asking you. And they said, Stanley Tucci. Oh, and cool. So, nice. so that was, I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I remember you know, this cut, now. Yeah. Cut to like a week later, you know, I had my first day on set and my very first scene was with Stanley Tucci. And there was just something very surreal about walking onto that soundstage over at Warner Brothers. And and after all those years as a, as a kid watching that show to, to to be there and to walk into the hospital and to and the county general and, and, and the lights and the, you know, the admit desk and just everything yeah. about it. It was it was just very surreal and, and awesome. And uh I did a handful of episodes, season 14, uh, the writer's strike hit, uh, season, uh, season 14 oh. was supposed to be the, was supposed to be the last season of ER. Okay. Um, the writer's strike hit, uh, I believe that was what, 2007 One, one of the ones in the last, in recent, yeah, yeah. I mean, in our time out here, there've been probably two. Correct. Yeah. This was around, gosh, I could be wrong, but I want to say 2000, 2007-ish. Um, yeah. Anyhow, so... So uh, Warner Brothers and NBC decided, well, you know, writers are on strike. We don't have uh, much new content. Let's just let's give ER one more season. Let's make it 15. <laughs> let's get yeah. to, let's get to 300 episodes. And so uh, and so I was I was super lucky. I got to yeah. do another handful of episodes in season 15 and got to be there for their monumental 300th episode. And and, uh, you know, some of the some of the people on that show, um uh crew wise uh mainly i've been there since the pilot you know right. a lot yeah. i mean it, it really felt like a very special place to to get to be a part of and a lot of them had had you know seen seen their friends and coworkers get married have kids saw yeah. the kids grow up i mean it was and they did a lot of stuff together um there were there was always some sort of er event going on or some get together or something and so i was i was really lucky to get to to be a part of 
of, of all that there in the end. That's um, so cool. Yes. And so now you've, since then, you've worked on at least a dozen procedural kind of shows, you know, lawyer shows, doctor shows, cop shows. Uh, were most, most of those top of show guest stars? Uh, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I would say so. I, I, I um, as far as the guest, I'd have to, I have to look, but yeah, all those would be uh, top of show guest stars that I got to do. Could you talk uh, most, a little bit about that, the difference between a one day, the, the, this kind of a new thing now called the one day guest star yeah. and the top of show guest star and the difference in pay and how that's changed over the years? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, let's see, right before the pandemic, I, sh I did a one day guest star. Um, as far as pay goes, it's, you know, it's for one day, it's, 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 it's decent pay obviously and you're getting to act um uh but it's not it's not the top of show rate i, I don't even know the top of show rate now is what eight or nine thousand dollars an episode something and I like think that it used to, but i think it used to be higher right did it i, I don't know I've wasn't had, it like 10 eight, at least uh yeah i've always had like eight almost okay. nine in, in my head yeah. um and these one day guest stars usually are you know 2500 or something like that for yeah, the day. yeah um which is fine. You know, I did a, I did a one day guest star, uh, right. Uh, I guess it was late, uh, 2019 on, um, on, um, it's going to escape me now. Was it nine one one? Uh, no, but it was something like that. <laughs> Do I have, is nine one one on my resume? I don't think I worked. On I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. It's something, I, I it's something like that. Uh, 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 the rookie the rookie okay yeah yeah with yeah. the yeah. <laughs> um yeah the rookie which i believe is is still on and it was yeah that was a lot of fun but yeah those those kind of things you know it's like you're you're happy to be there but you're you're sure. in and out you know you're in and um, out now the hardest the hardest audition that i can imagine is the one on the cop show where you play the guy that maybe killed their wife or girlfriend but you don't right. know from the sides that they give you and the sides say you have to break down crying in the scene <laughs> I, i've only gone out for a few of those maybe two of those roles like yeah. my entire time out here mostly i go in for like quirky tech guy sure sure have you done a lot of those parts i i've done too many of those i frankly <laughs> that's a hard audition it's a them. it's a hard thing you know like i i i at this point in my career like I just want to be the guy that has to regurgitate all the technical stuff and like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, like that. Everybody wants to that... do the thing that they don't usually get to because, do. Yeah. Well, well the, you know, these, these guest stars that you're describing that I've, I've done many of and still to this day audition for, um, you know, a lot of times they're doing the heavy lifting in the, in these yeah, episodes, you sure. know, and, and uh, it's, it can be very taxing. I mean, I, I did one last night that was in that kind of, I mean, this one is now I'm, I've kind of transitioned more into the father, uh, the fatherhood world. So this one wasn't, you know, boyfriend accused of murdering his girlfriend. It, it was a father who's who's broken up that his child is being uh, bullied at school, you know. Okay. But it's like these heavy kind of scenes where it might say in the script, you know, he's breaking down or blah, blah, blah. You know, at this point, I try not to like put too much stock in in that and really um just try to like find where it, where it sits uh, for me. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, sometimes maybe a tear is appropriate and sometimes it'll come, sometimes it won't. But like, I, I try not to put too much like pressure on myself to, 
to deliver what is written in the there's in a, the there, directions of the side. There was you a story. I mean? Apparently, Edie Falco was given a an interview, or was maybe she was doing a master class or something. It was some I think it happened at NYU, and that's how I heard about it. But she said that like anytime she would look at a soprano script and it would say Carmela cries, mm. she would say to herself like it's never going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. Well, also too, I mean, I've had some, you know, you get the ones I've get, I've got some some time where the 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 uh, direction or description says like smoking hot, like this smoking hot guy, you're, and they're like, what the, like, <laughs> oh yeah, I don't see that quite as often in my breakdowns, but yeah, yeah sure, okay, <laughs> but but you know, I mean, I. I just try not to put too much stock in those things. That's just a writer in the writer's room, like trying to convey well, something. I did. I you also know? I heard a teacher said different teacher said um, that I saw this came up in my Instagram feed. I want to give credit where credits to. I think it was Anthony Mindel, who I, I don't know very much. I think is a. I don't. I'm not even gonna speculate. But anyway, they. they I saw a video of them. They said the the breakdown is for the agent. Mm. breakdowns for the agent you know it's yeah. for them to decide which of my folks like you're like your first manager there like which of my folks is gonna is gonna go for this but then sure. for us it's like don't just fucking don't even yeah. worry about the breakdown you know right if the if yeah. casting says we need we want specific things for your slate we want specific things in your that we're looking for in the performance okay fine Right. But that, but that breakdown, don't make that the Bible because it's like, just do, do your thing, go do your yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. That's, that's good advice. I would say, I mean, the one that I, the thing that I tend to get hung up on is, uh, I mean, I had one come in the other day and, and the first thing it says is age 48 to 55. Right. Right. You know, and, and then I'm you're like, like, well, what the fuck? I can't, I'll I, never book this, but it's well, like, you, know, you don't know that yet. You, you don't know. And so I, you know, I still, I've got some time with this one. So I actually, you need to like, you know, read it and read more about the character and see if there's something specifically that, that lends this guy to being that age, or maybe right, it could, skew, right. maybe it could skew younger. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm 43 years old and I'm, I'm happy to, that I've, you know, I, I'm happy to audition for like, you know, father roles and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, um, but if they want 48 to 55, then that's not, I'm probably not going to get that. Right. With that being said, yeah, just, I try not to look at those things, but it, it's hard when they come in because it's the first thing you see. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Well, so, let's talk about this. So I wanted to ask you, um, so, you know, you're, 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 you're well known for another role, which is recurring on the beloved football drama, Friday Night Lights. <laughs> I want to talk about this with you. So it's, you played college TA Derek Bishop. Right. There was an interesting story with that booking, because if, if you, if I, I hope I'm getting this correct, you campaigned to get on that show. Is that right? Uh, you wanted to get know. on there. There was the I, Texas I, football high school connection. You, you wanted to be on. But cast, ca there was, I don't know if it was this role, but casting said something, right? Cast, casting originally said, oh, he's not right for this particular That's role correct. or something. And That's then you, right. So what did you do? Because you eventually so, you booked the part. So what I did, which I had never done before, and I don't think I've done it since, but I, um, a few months prior to that, I'd worked in Atlanta on a short-lived series called uh, Past Life. Um and the creator 
the uh, creator showrunner of that show was uh, a, a man named uh, uh, David Hudgens. And so I had David and, and, and when I was in it, when I was in Atlanta working on past life, I had, uh, you know, drinks or dinner with, with David and, and uh, about, we discussed the show that we were working on obviously, but then I let him know that how much I, he was a producer on Friday night lights as well. And a writer on Friday night lights. And I let him know how much uh, I love that show. Okay. So yeah. Cut two months later, um, I hear about this role. I have David's uh, phone number in my phone. So I give him a call. Um, he doesn't pick up. I'm sure he was busy, but he goes to his voicemail. I leave him a voicemail just saying, hey, heard about this part. I really love a chance to read for it. If you don't think I'm right, I'm, then I'll let it go. Um, but if there's anything you can do to help me out, something to that effect. Uh, that evening, I had the appointment. He didn't call me back, which is fine, but he made it, he made it happen. He opened the door. Um, and the very next day I went in and I read, and it was, um, if I remember correctly, it was on tape for producers who were in all in Austin. And, uh, and then a couple of days went by, I think I only read once on, on camera for, for them. And it took them a couple of days to make a decision. Um, but then I found out, um, and, uh, and then the following week I was on a, on a plane to Austin, uh, to work on my favorite TV show. That's and, cool uh, as hell. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, loved working on the show. Um, I will say it was, it was a challenging job for me. Um, like nerves wise, uh, I like to step into your favorite, like current TV show Yeah, where, you know, everything about these characters. Mm -hmm. um from yeah. the beginning to step into that environment um as an actor it was it was challenging um i yeah i enjoyed it so much everyone everyone was wonderful i got i did i think i did six trips to austin over that the course of that 13 uh, episode season um ended up doing six episodes uh my character had a, a romantic relationship with coach's daughter mm -hmm. which what which wasn't bad at all um um yeah julie played by amy t garden uh, at the time, I, somebody asked me the other day how old she was, and I, I, I want to say at the time she was probably 25 and I was 32 or 33, something like that. Um, yeah. Um, had a blast. It was a potential new love interest kind of thing. Uh, the blowback that I received from that character, though, I was, <laughs> I was, not, I was not prepared for. Really? Um, so, yeah, because I think yeah. that's right. Because he he eventually, the teacher character eventually resigns because it's like... He, He's... Well, I definitely I definitely crossed a line. I mean, not multiple lines. I mean, not only was 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 Derek married at the time. Right, that's he, right. He had yeah. this, but he had this, this affair with his... A students yeah you know yeah. um you know and uh, i gotta be honest man like i uh, that what was the, the what was the blowback how did you well, were, that, how, that was were you were you online at this point so were you getting this from on like your oh ooh, no ooh. i was this was this was pre uh i definitely was on on any social, social media, media you know and... you know i'll tell you what it was this is gonna sound old school but i um the day after my first episode aired i had jury duty and I, I was downtown LA in, in, in one of the courthouses, um, um, waiting for juries you know, you've done it, the whole jury selection process. And I was yeah. there for several hours. And so I grabbed an LA times 
And I was flipping through, I mean, I've cra- when was the last time you picked up a newspaper. I was flipping <laughs> through the LA Times and I caught, I saw that there was something about Friday Night Lights and this episode. And I'm sitting there amongst the sea of humanity at jury duty, reading this review of the episode. And I can't tell you exactly what it said, but it was mildly scathing as to my, I took it very personally because, you know, I'm just, that's just the way I'm wired, but it was, it was very scathing as to the storyline and my character and this and that. And I just, oh my God. Just feeling like I got punched, punched in the gut. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm sitting there in the middle of the I've got to I've got to like withstand this and be go through jury selection all day. Thank God I, they they released me. And I remember as they released me, I had the thought of, you know, the LA Times is right down the street. Like I could go in there. <laughs> and I could I could find this person like a total like Johnny drama moment. Johnny drama moment. Yeah. Johnny, Johnny drama. From you never Hawkeye. give me good reviews, man. <laughs> like I was that hurt that I I wanted to track this person down. Did anyway, they? Att- but they were attacking the character, though. Right? I don't remember. I took it very but something. Personally. You read something that it was it felt it was, diminishing. It was it was not what I had anticipated or what yeah. I had hoped to yeah. be the first the first review of of one of my performances in the L.A. Times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, you know, I got through that. Um, I've had I there was a there was a while there. I was anytime I would travel, I'd be at the airport. I someone would say something or see me, or you know, most of it was was good humor. And, and uh, you know, a good friend of mine was like, "Buddy, y- y- your character didn't have a shot. First of all, you cheated on your wife, and this is coach's yeah. daughter. This is coach's daughter. This well, is, see, you, you know, know what's what's interesting is that like." What I tend to notice now at the stage of the hustle is that, you know, unless you are with, so like a CAA or a WME or one of the very top, they're not going to send their clients out on that role because it's, it's, it's an unpleasant character, you know? And so oftentimes I, I feel like what we're getting is, or certainly what I'm getting, it's like, yeah. It's like, I have to, I look at a lot of roles and I'm like, what am I going to do with this? Because the character right. is, un- it's got to be an unlikable character in some way. All, all, right. Always. It's never the, like, <laughs> I'm always thinking to myself like, well, there's there's a Jim Halpert role out there for me somewhere. <laughs> yeah. No, there isn't. No, there very isn't. <laughs> unless you are with WME, uh, CAA, Paradigm, Gersh. Right. You know, so. Well, yeah, there may be some truth to that. I mean. We're, it is a little bit you're set up to be not liked and then i think it's but you can you can play an unlikable character so long as you figure out the why of the character if you figure out the why because you look at a show like for example succession there isn't a likable character on that show correct they're all they're all they're all and unpleasant (laughs) but you but you understand the why of each of those characters and and therefore you can love to dislike them you can love to love to hate them right 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 correct yeah, and and with this, I didn't I didn't have enough time to even really establish much of a, a character backstory. And frankly, I mean, like I, you know, like I said, it was it was Coach's daughter, and and all the fans wanted her to uh, to end up with her. Um, oh man, Zach Guilford's role. Um, oh yeah, right. It's escaping me at the moment. I only remember but, Tim Riggins at this point. Is it yeah, Tim, Tim Riggins? Tim Riggins, yeah, yeah Tim Riggins. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah Tim anyhow, Riggins. they. Uh, they really wanted uh, Julie to end up back with um, 
uh, Matt. Matt Harrison was yeah, the character's yeah, name. He was he was the beloved character uh, and the and the one that Julie <laughs> was meant to be with. Um, so well, yeah, you I know, remember it, as I recall, Patrick J. Adams also had a guest star on that show. This is you know years and years ago, but like I remember, and he played a kind of an unpleasant character on there as well. I think he he was with one of the older. Uh, uh young women on that show at that time and then mm-hmm. but he was and he's sort of this traveling salesman or something and i think they have it's, an affair or whatever yeah and i do remember watching that episode and being like "Ooh, he's he's a cold this character is a cold snake of a, of yeah. a character you know? <laughs> so it's like you're you're in good company i think there ultimately well yeah well yeah that is good company so now you so so moving on here so you've also you've done many national commercials this leads to another interesting story, which is, yeah. you know, uh, one of which was this campaign for Goodyear tires um, oh, yeah. that anecdotally, which just means our mutual buddy, Jonathan has told me <laughs> yeah, that you made very, very good money on those ads. And importantly, it included that you got to take a ride in the Goodyear blimp, which is an iconic <laughs> fixture in the <laughs> skies of LA. That's correct. Yeah. Not once, but twice I got to go up in that thing. And uh, if so I, for if people I remember, who don't know, I mean, with the blimp, yeah. usually it's usually, is it, it corresponds usually with like either some big event like the Oscars or a, correct. a, or, a uh, sports uh, game, a football game yeah. at, the, at the Coliseum okay. or the Rose Bowl. Um, yeah. I believe I, you know, at the time there were, there were two or three blimps and they were all, uh, they were all in hangars, I think down in Carson, which is South of LA. And uh, yeah, I booked a, I was, it was, it was during the time I was working on ER. So it was, it was on top of that wonderful experience. I, I was still going out commercially. I still go out commercially to this day, um, um, sometimes begrudgingly, but uh, I was lucky enough to book uh, a series of commercials for Goodyear that turned into initially was a two year deal that turned into three that turned into four. And I was the co-pilot in the Goodyear blimp with uh, with an older pilot, and uh, it was just um, it was just this little banter back and forth between between the pilots. And so through that experience, um, I did the first convention I've ever done. I've done a lot of conventions since, but the, my first convention experience, which does not sound sexy or amazing because it's not, and it wasn't, but it was it was a Goodyear tire convention. In <laughs> in Dallas, Texas, and they and you were flew, asked to come and represent the brand. They flew, yeah. They flew uh, the other actor and I to Dallas, first class, put us up, paid us well hmm. to come and make an appearance on stage at at the convention, um, which was you know it was great and sure. enjoyed it very enjoyed it very much. Through that experience, met some of the pilots, got a card from one of the pilots. He said, "Give me a call if you ever want to take a ride on the Goodyear Blap." So Holy of course. Shit. So a week or two later, I sent him an email or I called him and and um, we got to go down and, and take it for a ride and got to fly it, actually. And um, I mean, were, when were, I you with, were you with Kristen at this point or were you are you talking about you and the other actor in the oh, spot? Well, the first time it was it was the other actor and I um, I'm tra- the second time I got to take I got to take some friends. I took mm. I took four or five uh, friends with me um, and we went up and uh, and took it for a spin. Um, How scary and, is that? You know, I, I, I don't like I don't like being up in the air for any reason. <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty in a cool. blimp. I mean, it's look, basically a, a a fancy balloon. I don't know. 
yeah, you're going like 40 miles an hour. And when you're that high, it doesn't feel like much. But, you know, if I remember correctly, I think it's two wheels. You've got a wheel to go right or left and a wheel to go down or up, right? Uh, And it's that basic. So you can actually get to fly the thing. And um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, getting to like... Getting to crank it so that it it nose dives like that was pretty cool. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, what a what a cool experience. Um, I don't know when and like you know, not many people get to do something like that. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, this campaign ran for four years and uh, it was definitely life changing. And uh, um, it's the only uh, I've done I've done several national commercials, but it's the only time I've had one where I was like under contract. You know, um, yeah. where it was like um, so that was very cool. And, uh, and yeah, the money was, money was good. We're not talking like flow money or anything, but, but, uh, it was very nice, especially, especially at that point in my life, you know, I was like, you know, mid twenties with, with no kids. So yeah, no wife, no that, was, that must've been fun. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then in 2013 and 2014, you recur as Henry Winchester on a show called supernatural, supernatural. Yes is a juggernaut sci-fi show with a dedicated fandom. Yes. Henry, The character of Henry Winchester is the grandfather of the two leads on the show, Sam and Dean Winchester. That's correct. And from these handful of episodes alone, you've developed, I, my guess would be you've developed perhaps your biggest following. You know, did, did you have any idea at the time that this would be such a popular character with the fans of that show? Uh, no, I did not. And, uh, it, it is, um, as far as like a following goes, you know, definitely, I would say if I, I'm not a big social media guy, but if you were to go to my Twitter, I would say 90% of my followers are probably supernatural fans or, uh, supernatural yeah. ad- adjacent somehow. Um, yeah. You know, I knew the show was, uh, I knew the show, I mean, it had, a, it was, it was enjoying a very nice run. Um, even though early on there were some there were some years where I had heard that it might be canceled, um, I actually the year that I tested for all those pilots, um, uh, I that was one of the pilots I tested for. I tested uh, for yeah. I tested for the role of Sam on Supernatural. Um, as did they they tested. I will say they did test a lot of guys for that show, and that was a very um, there was a lot of mixing and matching going on. They would have they had you know m- multiple days of tests. Um, I never once, never once do I recall seeing uh, Jared Padalecki or Jensen Ackles in those the tests. Uh, yeah, at at the those test. You know, yeah. I think I think that was an instance where those guys, um, uh, Jared was coming off of Gilmore Girls, mm-hmm. um, which was at, at Warner Brothers, I, I think, um, and um, uh, Jensen was coming, uh, or Jensen was on Smallville. I think. Okay, yeah, sure. So those two guys. Um, uh, they they i think they they were kind of the choice from the beginning from what i understand i'm not saying they didn't have to earn it or audition for it um i, I believe they did but uh sure yeah um but yeah so anyway so that show had kind of always been uh you know on my mind and um cut to you know eight years later season eight of supernatural i get an audition for henry winchester the grandfather of the boys and and it's just it's uh one episode um uh spoiler alert uh i get the script henry dies at the end of the one episode um 
which is not always how you want to see your character be, be introduced and then die in the yeah the first you're episode. always kind of hoping sure but the, the, you know we're that. talking about we're talking about supernatural a lot of characters have died and come back there's there's some right. wiggle room there right so so yeah so i go up to uh um i go up to vancouver um I go to set. I meet. I meet. Uh, I think Jensen was the first of the boys I met. So nice. Uh, so welcoming. That show to this day. I mean, I've never. Um, ER is probably comparable. I, I I spent more time on the ER set, so I got close with a lot of those people. But um, my short time on on Supernatural was was just the most enjoyable experience because those guys um, they set the tone from the top. Jared and Jensen. I mean, and and the people on that show, the people that worked on that show top to bottom, every department, fantastic at what they do, but also just fantastic people and really kind and, and made everyone, you know, as you know, sometimes you get these one day guest stars or even the top of show um, or a co-star, whatever, like you, you go and you're, you're there to do your job, but you're not really made to feel part of the team or that welcome. That's, it that can vary. Yeah, it can vary. Sure. Yeah, that was that wasn't really the uh, that wasn't the experience of Supernatural at all. It was it was you know to this day is probably one of the most enjoyable, if not the most enjoyable experience I've ever had uh, doing a guest star on a show. Um, and about halfway through the episode, um, Jensen and I are talking, and he tells me about the conventions and and I knew there was a kind of a cult following for this show, but. At that time, I wasn't even on Twitter. I didn't have a Twitter. I didn't have a Facebook. I don't even think I had an Instagram. Um, and Jensen said, look, if they, you know, if they respond well to your character, which he felt like they would because I'm the boy's grandfather, you know, do the conventions. It's it's a lot of fun. And um, and you can, you know, you can, I, I, I suppose, build a fan base uh, through doing that. So, but that still didn't uh, prepare me for what it would be like to be welcome into that world. And uh, mm. so I did one episode. I mean, you would think by the amount of conventions I've done for that show that I I was like a, a regular on the show. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, you, I, go, you have been paid very handsomely to go to a lot of these conventions, not only just in this country, right? Like around the uh, world. Correct. I mean, I, I made, I've made a great deal more doing the conventions than working on the show do because I, I mean I, yeah. I did two i did two episodes i did one in season eight and then they brought me back in, uh, in some flashbacks and um in an episode in season nine um and then the show continued on and did 15 seasons um similar to er went well past the 300 episode mark um all yeah. the while i'm i'm hoping they're they're gonna bring uh my character back well i want um, yeah i was gonna ask you about that because i gotta ask because there is yeah. now a supernatural prequel series uh, what have you heard so far about your anything about your character or, or you're still waiting to hear um yeah look i i really um i'm hopeful um that's really all i can say um yeah i don't i don't know i i, I know the people involved um sure um I know that Henry is mentioned multiple times in the pilot. Good. Um, you know, but I, I've had my heart broken too many times to, uh, to, to, but I'm, I'm, I remain very, very hopeful. Um, yeah. I always hoped that, that they would bring Henry back on Supernatural at some point and, and give me a little more to do because I, I love the character. I yeah. feel like, I feel like they didn't, you know, they didn't develop it as much as they, they could have or should have. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, the 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 writer that created the the role of Henry, um, um, Adam Glass is his name. He uh, he told me he he was really pushing 
to have Henry come back in a big way. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he got pushed back for some. Uh, they they wanted to keep Henry dead for some reason. I'm not sure why. Uh, I try not to take that personally. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. You but never anyway, know. You never but know. You never why. know. And uh, yeah, they did. They did. There's there's been two spinoff attempts uh, of Supernatural. Neither have gotten picked up. This is the third attempt. Um, Jensen is producing mm, along with yeah. his, along with his wife Daniel. Great. Uh, Robbie Thompson uh, wrote the pilot, and I believe he is also the showrunner. So, um, you know, the last time I saw Robbie, gosh, this was, I think it was at the 300th episode party, uh, for Supernatural. I saw Robbie and, and he said, Hey, we got to get Henry back on the show. And this is, you know, this is when Supernatural was still on it. Um, so I, I, I remain hopeful. Um, but I don't know what their plans are for the show. I I've seen the trailer. It looks very cool. Um, and like I said, they mentioned Henry several times in the pilot. So yeah, man, I so got a we'll good see. feeling. I got a we'll good see. feeling. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, like with a lot of things, and uh, you know, <laughs> it's sometimes you just need a break, right? You need like yeah. you need things. You need things to line up. And sure. There's there's a lot of things that need to happen before that that could potentially line up in my favor. Um, but but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. So now you also you also have fans from recurring as Prince Eric on Once Upon a Time. Um, as I recall, you know, that, that was a show that shot in Canada. Now, am I right? Yeah. It shot in Vancouver. So, so right. now I've never shot a TV series in Canada, but I have heard that you get nailed twice on taxes. Is that right? Cause you have um, to pay Canadian as well as us taxes. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm not a, uh, uh, I, yeah, I'm not the, I'm probably not the best person to ask this to, um, there's a way around it. Um, but that's, that's true. There's a way to recoup some of that. If you have a good, uh, if you have a good CPA, um, I know that I've worked up there as, as an individual. And then I know that I've worked up there as, oh, uh, as, an, as, as a corporation, as a corporate and as cor- corporation. Yeah. You want to talk a think, little about that's an interesting thing to talk I about. Think I think that's a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, that's a, that's a thing people should, if they don't know what an S corp does for an actor, they should. Yeah. So do you, do you have one set up currently? I do. I do. I've had, I've had the same one set up for, um, you know, probably since, probably since the Goodyear ER days, I think is when I set that up. Um, and yeah, what is it, two, what does two, it allow you to do? So basically, uh, it's, it's for tax purposes. It, it helps you, I think, hang on to a little bit more of your money. It really is only like super beneficial. I think if you are earning, a considerable amount of money. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is like, you know, you know, 250 to 300,000 a year and above, then it can really, really help you. But what it does is, um, you know, and I, I early on, I had, um, I had some of those considerable years and then I've had some very, very, you know, lean years as well. Um, but basically what it is, they call it a loan out. And um, so when I go to, to onto a set to work, you fill out a, a loan out uh, form, basically saying that my company, Prairie Ghost Productions, is loaning out my services to the production, and then production pays the company, and then the company pays me as an actor. So, right, right. Um, so that's that's the way that does. So technically, I'm going to work for for my company on behalf of of of, uh, of this production. Um, now, when it comes to tax time, it's just, you know, I, I don't know. I just know that it, it helps you set, uh, hang on to a little bit more of your money. So yeah, that's right. As well, far as Canada for, goes to know. 
yeah, I think as far as Canada goes, I, I like I said, I think I've worked up there as an individual and up there as a um, as a loan out, and I, I think it's better to do a loan out, but who knows? Got it. So, yeah. and then this was very cool. You've also cut a solo EP as a singer, which charted on iTunes and Billboard Music Jazz. <laughs> yeah, then, it sure it sure did. Yeah, and then you followed up with a release of a Christmas album in a, in 2018. You have a fantastic right. singing voice. You have a great Thank sensibility you. for arranging music. Um, how how did you come up with those ideas for records? What was it about that particular time in your life? Because you know this is a sort of a I remember when you were putting these together, it's super fun. They're really great. Why, why did you. you, why was it then that you decided to do that? And how did you come up with the ideas? Yeah. You know, I, um, I mean, look, it all goes back to supernatural as, as crazy as that sounds that getting that guest star on that TV show opened up, uh, opened up my world for me in a way that was so unexpected. And, you know, I mean, some of the best things in life are the ones that are most unexpected and that, and that, mm. Doing that TV show, um, and then from that, getting to do all the conventions, uh, and these conventions, I, I I don't know. I've done a handful of other kinds of conventions, but all I can say about these Supernatural conventions is they're very special in the sense that um, a lot of the actors, well, I mean, almost all the actors that get to go do these shows, um, it's, it's kind of a recurring cast of characters at this point recurring cast of actors we've all become so close um a lot of those actors are musically inclined um mm. and so so what they started doing it somewhere along the line like there's a house band for the show that's a band called Loudon Swain and Loudon Swain's front man is uh is Rob Benedict who is an actor I'm not sure if you know Rob if, familiar. If, if you don't you would you would 100% recognize him yeah, yeah. um um, my favorite role, he's, he's worked in countless shows, but my favorite role he ever did, he was in that movie Waiting with uh, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. He's like, he plays I haven't one seen of them. that in a very long time, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Rob, uh, Rob's uh, got a really great band. And they are, and and so what they started doing is not only would they play during, during the convention on uh, Friday and throughout the day on Saturday, on Saturday nights, they put together what they call now call the Saturday night special. And it's, it's evolved over the years. I think when I first started doing the convention, it was going to be like a, like a talent show or some, or like a variety show of some kind. Um, and then that kind of morphed into Rob and loud and Swain getting to do the Saturday night special, which was a chance for them to promote all of their their music which they have a lot of and they're they're fantastic and also throughout the concert welcoming actors from supernatural onto stage to do musical numbers with them yeah so that that became like just just a blast and we still to this day i just did one a couple of weeks ago in uh in uh, in chicago and um to this day that's that's like the most fun i think for for us as a group to get to do that show so yeah, so back in, I guess, 2017, I was doing a lot of those conventions. Um, I met a singer songwriter producer named Jason Manns, um, yeah, who, is sure. a, who, is, right. who is a staple at the uh, conventions and he and I have become friends and he had done a similar kind of thing with, with someone else, I believe, um, from the show, as far as putting together an EP. Mm -hmm. Um, so he helped me, he helped me, um, you know, he helped me get the musicians, do do the arrangements. Uh, I I wrote one song that's on the EP. He co-wrote uh, another song, and then we picked 
a slew of uh, covers to do. Yeah. And and then uh, I did something I never thought I would do is I did a, a Kickstarter. Um, and, you know, I think I set a goal of, I don't know, twenty five or thirty thousand dollars, because that's what Jason told me that it would take to really, you know, produce a, a, a top notch EP. And we launched the Kickstarter and I, within twenty four hours, we like blew it out of the water and it was it was supernatural fans it was once upon a time fans it was it was yeah i'm so grateful and wow and so yeah that was that was an absolute hit and the reason it it did top the charts for a moment was because of that fandom and that fan base like they they really they're just so supportive and and wonderful with like anything you do and and so uh that was a lot of fun and then and then a year or two later i decided to, to do something i'd always wanted to do is uh do a christmas album so we did a similar kind of thing yeah um, it wasn't budget wasn't quite as big we uh we scaled it down there's it's really just my voice and piano um hired a, a fan a fantastic uh, pianist um uh composer named aaron beaumont to do all the arrangements and uh we pulled off a christmas album yeah, yeah. it's really nice so. I, I encourage folks to go check it out i liked it a lot and thanks you know, man and, and i speaking appreciate of, it speaking of telling folks to check your stuff out i'm gonna say you know finally here that you have a you have a new movie out on amazon prime that everyone should go see it's a it's an indie thriller called metamorphosis um i watched the film really enjoyed your performance in it thank you uh the film is mostly mostly a two-hander it's shot beautifully Thank the you. tension building in it is really great um can you talk a little bit about that experience yeah absolutely um so yeah it came out the movie uh, came out on amazon prime um it's available to uh to rent um for the low low price of 2.99 um and i think it's well worth it we yeah we shot this thing. It was, it was quite an experience. I'll tell you. So this was in the uh, late summer, uh, early fall of 2020. So we're talking, we're talking mid pandemic. Right. Um, yeah. I, I get the, uh, I get the offer to do this movie. It shoots in Canada. Um, it shoots on a, uh, on a private Island. There's a string of islands east of Toronto called the thousand islands. And uh, there might be literally a thousand islands, some of them just as tiny as you can possibly imagine, and then some larger. But uh, the director, uh, the writer director of the film, um, had uh, in his family a, a house on a private island on the thousand islands. And so he wrote this story to take place at that at that house on this island in these woods in this particular location um which helped his budget you know tremendously um and it was it was a low budget thing uh i think the final you know start to finish i, I think it was 350 to 400,000 which is you know which is a lot of money but when you're talking about making a movie it's 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 not um had a fantastic crew um we had to because it was it was during covid um we were required by canada to isolate for two weeks uh before we yeah. could start before we could start working so sure. yeah there were only three if, if i remember there were only three americans on the production myself the director and the executive producer so oh no i, I take that back forgive me uh four and also the the dp the director of photography jason krangle who's 
just he shot such a beautiful. I, I love that you you commented on that because he yeah, shot it so it's so beautiful. And I like yeah. particularly the beginning. It's a lot of shots of uh, the water, the the travel, and then these two this this couple. And there's not there's no talking for the first. It's it's a what slow is it, burn. Ten minutes or something. It's real. I really <laughs> like that. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. I mean, some people are into it. Some people, I think, are thinking like, when are they going to talk? Nah, yeah. I don't. Nah. I don't think the first. I don't think the first word is spoken until like almost the eight minute mark. Um, yeah. And what is the line? Yeah. Like, it's going to work or something. <laughs> I want to work it out. I, I want to work it out. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, man. So we, uh, the four of us, the four of us Americans were required to quarantine for two weeks. And, uh, so we all made it to the Island. Uh, we had all tested negative and we basically bunked up in this, um, in this two bedroom, uh, it was a two bedroom, two bath house, like a cabin. And then there was a houseboat down on the water. And so, uh, Alex Smoot, the director, um, decided he was just going to live on the houseboat for two weeks. And that's what he did. God bless him. And then, uh, and then the other three of us stayed in the main house and, and it was awesome. We got to, uh, I mean, like, you know, you've got two small children as do I, um, as much as I missed my wife and kids, it was, it was oh, any cool. opportunity like, to, to have two weeks to, <laughs> to just focus on this job that I had coming, yeah. you know, it was, I, I don't know that I'll ever get that kind of opportunity again. It was, it was, it was wonderful. And to get yeah. to watch the other guys prepare and do all their prep. We had two weeks to prep and, um, and they had, frankly, they had a lot more work to do than I did. You know, I could, take a few hours a day to sit down with my script and, and do some work. They had a lot of, but they, had, I mean, they were getting their shot schedules down, doing anything they can that would help speed up the process once we started shooting. And, and so I took it upon myself to do a lot of the cooking, a lot of the cleaning of the cabin. Um, there was an old hot tub uh, on the right, deck. That I remember was, this. That was, <laughs> was full of. Needed of to be revived. Right. Yeah. So I, I found a hand scrawled uh, manual of how to put the hot tub thing back together to put the uh, the pump and filter and everything back together and I, I put the thing back together and got the hot tub working and what anyway, a it was, what a match they must have loved yeah. you for that that's so great <laughs> yeah they, they were quite appreciative um yeah man we we had a we had a nice two weeks and then we shot for three weeks six days a week uh long long days and nights mm, yeah. uh you know there's a lot out of it woods is a night. lot yeah out in the woods a lot uh cold wet mm. muddy you know um we shot six days a week. We'd have Sundays off to basically just sleep. And then we were right back at it. And we shot the whole thing in 18 days. And it was, um, you know, um, it all goes back to entourage. It reminds me of that, uh, that Ari, uh, that Ari quote, where he tells uh, Vince, like he doesn't want to do this indie film because he's going to be sitting on a fucking Apple box. Apple box. <laughs> or like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it was kind of like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but everybody, everybody really pulled together and worked really hard and, and I'm super proud of the movie. And, um, and you know, it's, it's a slow burn psychological thriller. Um, uh, so far, a lot of the reviews have been, have been really, really nice. Um, not, yeah. I try not, I try not to read them. I mean, if I read, if I happen upon, um, just out of curiosity, a, a, an outstanding five-star review, I will then follow it up with, a one-star review and just because it makes me it makes me laugh but that's the like, age that's the age we live in now there's always going to be somebody who's going to give some something uh oh, know, one star and uh, you know who, who, who not? but it, we're, we're in an age where you know 
there's a lot more feedback, I guess, now for what we're yeah. doing. Whereas it used to be, you know, the critics, the critics at the big media companies. And then sure. you'd get, you'd always hear about, oh, people were writing in letters to the, to the, to the TV station or the, or, or, or to, the, to letters to Disney or whoever the company might be that people are upset with. Nowadays, everybody, the, the, these, these folks have their own followings, you know? Sure. Yeah. And everybody's got, uh, yeah, I, they've, you know. they've got their own media company. It's their Twitter handle. And of course, everybody's got, got a voice. A yeah. Everybody's got a voice. Everybody until somebody, wait. until somebody takes them down and says like, <laughs> yeah. you're yeah. not cool for this or that reason. Right. Well, anyway, that's that's I, one I, reason I've tried to stay off of the social media, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a guy that there's a guy that wrote a, I, I found it to be a very humorous one-star review of the film, but then I, I scrolled down to see what, what else he had reviewed. And he actually once reviewed a pair of scissors that he bought on Amazon. So, you know, <laughs> I was like, okay, this kind of, what did he give the scissors? <laughs> I don't even know. Three stars, three stars, <laughs> more than our film. <laughs> ah, it's so funny oh dude well folks i'm gonna say go check out Metam metamorphosis on amazon prime please uh, do it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a good movie gil's great in it uh well gil thanks so much thanks so much for making the time to chat with me today um i'm gonna say you've always been a supportive you've always been supportive of me and my career and you've offered help or kind advice um our kids also might get married one day. Who knows? <laughs> Henry and Viv forever. Yeah. Um, Henry, uh, I believe Viv is Henry's one true love. I think that's what, as, he, as he put it. <laughs> well, I wish you continued success, buddy. Uh, you as love well, ya. man. Love you. And love thanks you so too, much man. for doing it. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, Claude. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Gil McKinney. A big thanks again to Gil for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got another incredible episode with Beth Reisgraf and Darwin Shaw coming in the next week. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Baron Vaughn, Joe Tippett, Sarah Paxton, Chantal Tui, Christine Woods, Patrick Adams, Leonard Robinson, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Things are going great for me. And you can check out our link tree to get some of our merch. Our link tree is on our Instagram at things are going great for me. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five-star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Susie Abramite. She chats sitting on both sides of the casting table, her recent move to Utah, and narrowly escaping a house fire. We also discover that we grew up in the same hometown of Concord, Massachusetts. It's a wonderful surprise ending. Here now is the multi-talented Susie Abramite. So it's very nice to meet you. Um, now, are you from Utah originally? No, no. I just moved out here um, because my my family had decided to move out here to Park City for the skiing. And so they had moved out, uh, my mom and her husband, a few years prior. And my dad, um, who passed away years ago, but uh, Deer Valley and Park City was one of his favorite places to ski. And, um, and so I, I found myself kind of, uh, you know, during the pandemic, during LA, I just, I ended up moving out here. 
um, just because it was just, there was so much nature. It, it's so beautiful. And yeah, LA, I think, I think I, I had my time in LA and it was so magical. And then I just think, you know, LA's, LA's going through a rough patch right now. And so I just, yeah. I needed to not be in it. I mean, there was, there was at one point, um, there was like someone had robbed, like I had to fight off a robber. There was constant, it was like a fight or flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and thankfully, so, like I, I scared scary. him yeah. off. You did? But yeah, no, I did. Um, was this just yeah. out and about on the street sort of a, a thing? No, or was it a, it no. wasn't a home invasion. Uh, a little bit. I oh mean, my God. yeah. So there was a guy who just kept, I mean, at one point there were, there was like a guy shooting up who would just come into my yard. I, I remember I was away filming something and there was a guy in a diaper shooting up like heroin or something. And I had to like call my neighbor at like two in the morning and be like, uh, can you, so there was just, and you know, there was your yard just one. Yeah. It, it was, it, I lived like a half a block from the beach and it was just, it was just really interesting. And I think, uh, it just got to a place where it, it was, it wasn't tenable. And so yeah, at this, at this yeah. point, this one guy just kept coming into the yard and stealing stuff. So different, different guy from the diaper guy, but that was just like, there was always, there was always some daily occurrence and we lived like in a, yeah, you know, it's like a nice neighborhood and my neighbors who, um, we like shared a wall. So it was sort of like a duplex or like a apartment building or a house that got split into two. And I became really close friends with my neighbors and they just, so this, um, this guy just kept stealing stuff in the yard. And finally it was like two in the morning and I saw my, um, my camera go off and I immediately was like, not today. And so he was trying to steal my neighbor's bike, which was actually, um, chained to like my, like next to my area. I mean, it it does. And so I just screamed i just used my full shadow of just hey like i just screamed at him like i it's it's interesting because i have it on camera and i don't i don't sound like i sound like an animal like a feral crazy bear and so this huge guy who's probably like 200 pounds and like six two scurries scurries off because i was like no way and so then my neighbor, Brett, comes outside. He's he's somewhat of a laconic man. He doesn't say much. Me and Kat were really close. But but Brett, he just kind of comes out and he's like, Susie! Uh-huh. <laughs> and that kind of fives me. Because he would normally be the guy to kind of, uh, you be know. Be the tough guy in a, the situation. Be the, tu- be the tough guy in the situation. But Kat, I mean, there were times but, but when. But you were the tough guy in the situation there. But it was interesting because his, his wife was also very tough. Uh, you know, yeah. if there would be like a sketchy situation, she would come out with a bat ready to go. Be like, Susie, oh, wow. you good? See, now... Fully eight, nine months pregnant. Nine oh, months pregnant. Be like, Susie, you re- like, you good? <laughs> See, now I have, a, I have a baseball bat that's under my uh, under our bed. It's a tiny bat. It's a children's bat. It's pink and oh. it says girls rule. Oh, that's and awesome. I have that. That's all we have. <laughs> but but nice. invariably... If I do try to 
defend myself using it, it will be taken away from me and then used to beat me to death. Is, is, <laughs> I'm sure what would happen. Well, I'm glad you're okay. I, you know. So that's you know, when I, I decided it was time to move. And then I saw my neighbors yeah. get robbed and carjacked, and they like the police came and they're like, "You're lucky to be alive." And so when I called the police, like they didn't. It was just like I, I was like, I'm good. If this happens, it's happening too much. It's literally happening every other day, and I just can't. And then the minute I left, like I feel like uh, Venice and that whole area kind of chilled out. But I'm loving living, you know, like on a lake in a in a mountain, and it's incredible. I mean, that sounds great. I, I've heard about other actors who are living outside of LA. This, you know, for years now. It's like I think like Steve Zahn. I think lives on a farm in Kentucky, for example. Oh. And you know, I mean getting a bit of a break from LA can be a nice thing. Definitely. And I, you know, definitely. so, so far, you know, are you finding though? Cause the thing like, you know, it's like, I remember, I think Jim Carrey said something once about like, it was about Hollywood. It's like when you take, when you make that decision to like take a break, it can feel very kind of like risky because it's like, you're getting off of the bus, you know, and the, that bus is going to move on. And, um, you know, and you hear, I've heard occasionally um, from other actors, I, I've been told this on occasions, like, don't leave L.A., take a vacation in your backyard. I, heard, I overheard that once. Somebody else's manager said that. Take a vacation in your backyard. But I don't know. I think, like, the pandemic has really made it possible where you don't have to be in L.A. anymore, where... Uh, you know, you can put things like everything's on Zoom, every, you know, it right. used to be where you had to be in L.A. You had to, you know, that's where everything was. But I think um, I think you you saw like a, a mass exodus from L.A. during the pandemic. And I and I think, you know, some people have moved back, but I think, um, yeah, I think it just opened up so many possibilities with Zoom and that you just you don't have to be uh raising a family and, and doing all that kind of stuff in, in LA anymore, which is, which is really cool. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I haven't felt anything, you know, because it's like, it's just, we now have our meetings on zoom. I mean, yeah. that's sort of, you know, on the phone, on zoom, you know, everything's on tape. Like uh, you hardly you, go in to audition anymore. Yeah. Do you feel like it's going to continue that way? I don't know what's going to happen, to be honest. I think, like, um, if it I continued this way, I think it would be kind of great. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I can. I'm sure for some, they'll probably have, like, you come in. But I think it, I think because it probably saves casting directors and it, it's so beneficial for time everyone. Yeah. Time and money. I just don't think, you know, people want to have to rent um space just for like auditions or like we can just do this out of our home we don't have to you know like rent like a whole place and then have like castings and it's just I think it's so much easier for the actors and it's so much easier probably on casting where people can take their time and you know the, I, the only thing I do miss is that you know you do get the notes and you do sort of get like mm -hmm. that one-on-one -on -one, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you have know, an the, opportunity to be like how you doing yeah. Yeah. You, you, know. you get to build a rapport. You get to like, yeah. you know, catch up with casting uh, directors you haven't seen in a while. And, you know, especially when they root for you and, you know, you get to like share some tidbit. I mean, that that does make or break the project. Like for King Richard, 
I think the reason why I uh, booked it and was in it was because, you know, I started sharing about my experience about tennis and, and I was like, this was my life. And next thing you know, it was like, oh my God, we have to cast you. This is amazing. Blah, 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 blah. So, um, so it, you know, I think, um, but I, I do think that this is probably like the, just how it's going to be for the future. And I think it, it was already kind of moving towards that direction just because, you know, you have like directors and writers who, you know, um, could be traveling, they could be in Europe, they could be anywhere. And they're like, the only thing about like a callback doing it on Zoom is horrible. <laughs> and it's just... Callbacks are pretty rough. Yeah. Like it's when we were doing it on like Zoom. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, over Zoom, it's, it's, it's rough because it's like you're... Um, it's hard to sort of like, you know, we're all trying to do that thing of like tell the story and we've got to be thinking about what is our, what's, what's our body doing in space? Like, how are we communicating the story that way? And all, a whole bunch of stuff. And, and then you're, you're aiming it right at this tiny little camera on a device. It's, it's, it's hard, you know? And then it's, it is one of those situations where there are a bunch of people there, but you can't see them. <laughs> well, what's also so, it's just so weird. It's it, oh my gosh! I had I had a huge callback. It was for the Power series, and they wanted yeah. me to read everything into the Zoom. So do a callback with the casting over Zoom, and I was like, "How am I supposed?" Like it was I'm supposed to do the scene over like to you, not like you know, there's someone behind me, and I'm I'm you know talking not to this person. Not picking a spot on the wall, <laughs> but looking right into that tiny little lens on your laptop. Yes. Yeah, it was so weird. And it it did not go well. You know, obviously, I think I was just like, are you guys sure? (laughs) (laughs) I did not get the role. (laughs) You know, it's funny about that. It's like, because every once in a while, I have folks, they're asking me about getting into acting and stuff like that. Or they've been been doing a little bit of training, but they're really new to acting. And they'll say, like, you know, do, do you think I should go and audition or should I wait? And I'm usually like, just go audition because... You're afraid that, what, you're going to have a bad audition or something. Well, we all do. Everybody, people still have bad auditions all the time, you know, yeah. at all levels. We, we all have those days where, because of a technical reason or who knows, it doesn't go exactly how we wanted it to go or we didn't, get, we didn't feel sort of standing in our, in our power with our choices. It happens, you know. And oftentimes I think it's like the, they – they're not always going to remember. That's not a deal breaker either. It ha- I think they know that that happens sometimes. You know, the only time that I think that you're going to get remembered You would think that they way. know. You would think that they know. Well, because, I mean, they're, well, they're they only don't know, focused. Well, I mean, I, I, I think. Do you feel like you've been written off by uh, uh, because of some audition where. Because for me, it's like I think you're only really going to get written off if you're being an asshole or a jerk, you know. But do you think it's that other thing, too? It's like, oh, the work wasn't, you know, oh, I guess they aren't really great. You think that happens? Um, it's interesting because, you know, I've been on the other side of producing and writing yeah. and acting and PAing. I mean, there was, there was a project I did actually with, uh, with, with Casey's other client, um, Peter Facinelli, and and when we were casting, and so I, I wrote the whole thing, I put the whole thing together with um, my best friends. But I mean, I was like, did most of uh, the producing of putting every, I mean, everyone played their part, but like when I grabbed all the pieces together, a lot of them, 
And then, you know, uh, when we were doing casting, it literally was like, let me sit down with you for five minutes and figure out if you're this person. Like, cause mm -hmm. there's, yeah. there's something about like some actors, like I know Clint Eastwood, Mel Gibson, they don't audition anyone. They just want to sit down with you and be like, and even Johnny Depp, uh, you know, it's like, I just, I need to get a sense about who you are. And that's sort of, I think like an actor's skill set, especially if you're producing or you're writing, you're creating. The beauty of that is you immediately can really understand who you're sitting across from. You're immediately able to like understand probably our skill set being an artist, maybe being like a kid, you know, like this maybe comes from childhood immediately having to assess like where are you dangerous where like are you magnificent like where mm -hmm. you know what i mean so i think i think as like being an actor we are so incredibly sensitive so we're really adept mm -hmm. at um pulling out those qualities and assessing who someone is it's almost like a cia agent but not so like you know <laughs> but i mean there is something to that and i think when it's interesting because with directors, a lot of them come from cin the, the cinematography and the beauty of it or this or, you know, and there's maybe there is a storytelling aspect to it. Uh, but generally, it does feel that there is sometimes there's like sometimes there's directors who can immediately like there was this theater director who but he, he was also one of those people that could just understand everything about someone and be able to pull this and 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 he was so someone multifaceted you were, you were he, he was with. yeah he um i, I did a, a movie called diving normal and he um he actually would put on these huge events i think black they're called blackout it, during halloween in new york where i mean he would do these like very like psychological events um but he's are you like, talking about those things like there was a production in new york very popular called sleep yes. no, sleep no more yes sleep no more so it was sleep no more it was like blackout or sleep no more or something like that so and i think you, it's he, a, i think it's an experience right you sort of like it's it sometimes it take, it's site specific it happens in like a building or something. yes you go yes. through the building there are actors who are doing yes vignettes and things yes yeah. so that so so he was but I'm, I'm i'm not so it's not always very common so i think for when I've gone into a room, I, I realize that that's a unique skill set to be able to sit down with somebody and be like, I have a vision. I know exactly what you like. I, I can see the, the spark. I can see what you can do and what you can't do. Uh, I think having a vision and having an understanding of who someone is and who their capability is in a very short amount of time is yeah. a very unique skill set. And I don't think a lot of um, I don't think that's very common you would think that it is because I think like when I've gone into audition or whatever and I think a lot of times like the notes or things or even like for projects that I'm like producing or the notes that they sometimes hand you back you're sort of scratching your head and being like how did you not how did you miss this you know and they might have done some like really amazing stuff so just you to, know? just to come back on this for a second so this is about this is sort of that thing of like when you're because we were talking about sort of being in the room and you were sort of saying this thing of like do they see can they see that what you i think this thing of like actors sometimes wanting people to know like can you can you see the sort of you know, are you aware that like I can do something different or like you kind of want sometimes they actor, can't yeah. honestly. And that, and that was, that was really right. interesting to me to be on the other side and to be producing yeah. and, and to see sort of, you know, uh, 
I guess it's because you're an actor and you're so, you're having to listen and you're having to, you know, really understand immediately who someone is, like your scene partner and all those sort of variables. Who's in the room? What do they do? Making sure that you're making, you know, you're giving time and respect to the people that are in that room. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I guess, I guess just, uh, yeah, I, I, I've just, it's just been very interesting where it's not very common where, at least from my experience where people go, Oh, I see what you're doing there. Like with Will Smith, I think he saw something. He, we, I, you know, um, I only had like a small scene with him. Can we and talk it ended about up... this for just one sure, second? Sure, sure. I, I just want people to recognize that. So you, because you have, you have an interesting part of your story that led you to this King Richard film. And, yes. you know, so you, uh, and interestingly enough, you are now the second person that I have interviewed um, that has turned down a professional career in tennis um and there's a second person who's the other person yeah so this my guest uh actor pej vidat who folks can listen to his episode uh is episode 18 also turned down a professional career in tennis and opted to get into uh show business so you received a full scholarship to duke university and were one of the top ranked players number six in the u.s Mm mm-hmm and helped your team earn a number one ranking and NCAA title in your freshman year. That's incredible. Yep. Yep. And so then you go on. So anyway, then you you've done you've shot 50 plus episodes of television, you know, across great shows like Chicago Med, Devious Maids, One Tree Hill, Supernatural and NCIS. And and then you book you book a job in King Richard, the Oscar winning film, and you're playing a tennis player in that film, right? No, no, I'm I'm playing um or I, I played Robin Finn, who was a New York Times reporter who um, Oh I'm she so did, sorry. She, okay. So she she ended up doing a whole story on Serena and Venus, like right as they were breaking and, and talking about it. And that was like, okay, I think it. the first big deal for them, like of having legitimate press. And I, you know, did a whole story, like my character did a whole story about them. Um, yeah. So, so I full I, circle, I guess, in the theme of tennis, but then so for sure, for sure. Now, it, And it's my understanding that you, and maybe I just, this is the reason I didn't know this is that then you find out at some point that, that you're, you don't make the cut on this particular film. Is that correct? Yeah. Sadly. I know that's very hard. Yeah. Well, well, you know, it was so interesting. Um, I had shot this. So I shot the scene with Will and it was like, it was Will and every, like his whole family. Yeah. And, and honestly, like it was such a, there was such a cool moment because he was kind of sizing me up of like, what am I? And so I was sort of, you know, he wasn't, and it was so interesting because in the scene, I had an idea of how he was going to play it. But when I actually got there, you know, and we're doing it, he wasn't giving me like in the scene, he wasn't, um, I thought he would play it a certain way. And instead his character was like, I'm not going to give you what you want, girlfriend. Like, and I was like, okay. And then I had to like, pivot and be like oh I have to listen I have to play mm, I have to like yeah. I this scene is me getting him to like trust me and like and like me and I was like okay how do I do that how do I do yeah. that with these set of parameters because he's like I'm not going to give you what you want and I was like oh and so I mean this was the subtext of this scene and so I kept having to charm and like and it was so cool because I mean this was one of the moments where 
I remembered why, you know, I, I love doing what I do and I love acting. And it was, it was so cool to be able to be like, okay, I know we're, we have to get to this point, you know, but I, I really have to earn this. Like, I really have to like earn his respect in the scene. I really have to earn his trust. Yeah. And, um, and that was, it, it, and so I, and, and, which was really cool. Cause, uh, he ended up, we ended up keeping in touch and he was like, yo, that was like, that was like really beautiful what you did. It was a really beautiful scene. And then he like checked out my Instagram and, <laughs> and then we like, we kept in touch, but he, there was, um, this project that I did with Peter Facinelli, uh, that we, you know, we casted him for, it was called uh, famous adjacent. And there's a scene of me mm -hmm. rapping and Will was one of my heroes growing up as a kid, you know, uh, Fresh Prince and everything. Of course. And so there he is just being like, this is amazing, commenting on like my, you know, this show within a show <laughs> of me auditioning of like me rapping for, you know, it's like, it, I mean, that's the scene, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, and I, I, you know, it's sort of like she, you know, this, my character comes up and, you know, <laughs> they're like, well... <laughs> They're like, we're looking a little bit more for Soraya from Empire and a little less Elle Fanning 10 years from now. But we'll keep you in mind for future oh, projects. <laughs> now, you also had a music career as well, right? I did. I did. Yeah. So with yeah. any any rap, so you've, and so you've done this before. This is also part of your, your, um, your repertoire. Yeah. I had a music career. I had a song with Fat Joe. It played all of the radio stations. And, it's incredible. Um, yeah, and, and at it's the time, it's amazing to have like these multiple fun, super fun. Each one of these is like. <laughs> I, I I love tennis. First of all, like I that was one of those sports I felt like I was okay at. Like would have loved to compete at a high level doing something like that. You know, right? Like, music right. career sounds super fun. Um, it's exciting. It feels like yeah. your life has been exciting, then exciting, more exciting, more exciting. I mean, it's interesting because I will say that there has been a balance to everything because it's, sure. it's, it, yeah, yeah. it's, it certainly hasn't, it's been a really treacherous hero's journey, you yeah. know? Um, so it's like within these very exciting, flashy, shiny things, there was, you know, in the music industry, for instance, there's like a really dark underbelly. And oh, I don't sure. think, yeah, right. and I, and yeah. I, and I, th and I think I like, I just was like, you know what? This isn't for me. Like, I think <laughs> smart. It, okay. It, it just, it, and so I just, I think it's basically like mafia run. Like, I don't know how to say it other than like, it was, it was really scary. Like, you know, I think it's, it's not lost on me that when the me too movement happened, mm, yeah, barely aside from Kesha, a single person kind of came out with all yeah, the allegations. I, I, I gotta say, I was kind of struck by that too, that we didn't hear more, it's uh, from the music industry, about the music because industry. Because it's so dark. It's it terrifying. It's like, yeah. they will get murdered. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I, I just think if they were, mm, yeah. they're going up against some of the most powerful people. And I don't think in, you know, I think there's so many of them that I think there, there's no way they, it, it makes sense. It's like, think of like Harvey Weinstein times 10. If you have like every guy, like hmm. that was just the norm, yeah. you know? I mean, back in the fifties and sixties, it's kind of like the mafia kind of ran things. So. Yeah, um, that's right. They, right. They ran, you know, music halls and, you know, across the country. Mm -hmm. and clubs. So I think, I yeah. think there's still some of that. 
um, mentality left over. And so like, if you don't play ball, like basically what, how it was presented to me, it's like, I got as far as I possibly could doing everything on my own. But if you wanted to, if I wanted to make the jump, I had to like sleep with whoever, you know, and that was like, just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So like that, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's like 18 year old girl mm-hmm. and it was just sort of like, all right, if you want, and it was just, it was, it was, uh, from producers who would produce the music to, you know, some A and R's, not all the A and R's were actually like pretty respectable, but it was like the higher ups, uh, like the president of whatever. Like I found out years later that the one guy who I thought was totally respectable and safe, he's like, I had such a crush on you when you were 18. I'm like, you could 18. be my grandfather. Yeah. What is wrong with no, you? Not okay. Not okay. No, absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you survived that. And you've <laughs> so, had this so, very, I mean, and you have yeah. had this very successful career since. And, you know, I, and I think so currently, you know, people, I suppose they, I, I, I had to give a little balance to that. Cause it's like, Oh, everything's roses. And I was like, well, no, it, <laughs> let me yeah. like, I'm like, I'm like, if, if anyone's listening, like who, who's ever listening at home that it, it's honestly, I, I was, I was watching this uh, podcast and um, I, I think it, I forget what his name is, but he's uh, super interesting, but he was saying, he's like, you know, no one should ever be jealous of anyone because you don't know what it took to get there mm, or what it right, took, right. you know, or even like my tennis career, it was just a lot of injuries. There was a lot of isolation. Right. There was yeah. a lot of like, I think not isolation because it's like that thing of you're just hitting that ball against the wall, almost sometimes literally in that particular game Yeah, over, no, for, seriously. for hours alone over and over and over again. Right. For sure. For sure. But that's a, yeah. but you also, you're getting, so from each of these things, probably you're getting different stuff like discipline. You're getting, you know, courage to, to step into your power and, and, you know, oh, be present. And there's, yeah, I think that's what I learned um, just through everything. Like with every, um, with every positive, there's also a negative, like there's, there's going to be, but then without like, let's say like my house burned down and there were so many negatives, but then there were so many positives to that. Like it changed my life where I always went, Oh my God, there's, there's balance to everything where every like negative, like every curse so can did, also be a blessing. This did happen. Your house yeah. burned down. Yeah. The house that I was renting, but I lost everything I had ever owned up until that point. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So, Incredible. but I, I mean, I, I think, uh, honestly, that was one of the biggest, most powerful lessons I had ever learned. Well, first about like, there were so many, there were so many things to it, but it was first about the ability to let go, you know, of things that like, Mm. I'll be fine. And, and to stop holding on to the past. I think that that was also something, but I think that you can alchemize any situation. You can find the blessings in a really tough situation and use the energy to move through that and use it as a tremendous positive and only, but it's only if you're trying to find those positives and like move through that situation. So for instance, um, my friend, one of my best friends, she like sat me down she's like, look, I just found out that my, like I lost my house and I'm just crying and I'm like shaking. Was it you, were you in the house when this fire started or no? Yes. Uh, not, not when it, it was right 
uh, there was Oof, this, this is the huge firebomb. Uh, like it basically looked like lightning. Like there was, you know, on um, every morning there was birds and the bees and all this wildlife and nature. And I went outside to take my dog out at like eight in the morning, eight thirty in the morning, and honestly there was not a single bird or no there might have been like one bird and it was like tweet 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 and it was so eerie it was like the eeriest thing it was like a scary movie or it was like there's no more animals where hmm. where are all the animals like wow. there's no bees the bees were always here Holy the bees were oh they left like they were always right there building their nests being busy and everything was gone like everything was just gone yeah and i'm looking around and all of a sudden this giant fireball is above me. Oh like, so it was, it was, wow. so it's like, you see this in like this cloud moving forward. So it's like, right. So we were sort of nestled in, um, this little valley a little bit. And there's like this hill, a giant hill, uh, above, above the house. And you just see this like descending, um, like it's almost like a thunderstorm. Like it's about to rain in like two minutes kind of deal where instead it's instead of, instead of lightning, it's like you see like fire exploding and, and I'm like, Oh my God, pack up your shit, pack up whatever you can and just put it, you know, and literally I just had like a one little bag packed up whatever I could and ran out. Um, my God. Why? That I'm glad, lucky that you're okay. And I, I, you know, I guess when scary things like this happen to a person, it's like you're reminded that life is short and time totally. is precious, right? But, and the but, more, and, you know, the more important than the things we own, I suppose, is the time that we have with the people that we care about and love, right? For sure, for I. sure. E. You are being now in Utah close, close to your family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, um, they actually recently moved, but I mean, before I decided I was going to move here, I think they were, they wanted to move back East to, uh, Cape Cod and they, 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 they kind of move around a lot. Um, you know, they'll buy a house and then they'll sell it for, you know, like a really good amount of money. So that I think they like to kind of do that. But, um, where did, yeah, you, no. where did you grow up originally? Uh, originally outside of Boston. Oh yeah. Me and then, too. yeah. Oh, where? Uh, well, I've moved around a lot too, but I was uh, I was in like elementary school years were in Concord, Mass. I grew up in Concord, Concord, Carlisle. Are you kidding me? No, are you kidding me? I didn't know that. No, that's Incredible. crazy. Oh, wait yes. A minute. <laughs> what? Well, I was. Did just you go to CCHS? No, see, I didn't make it that long. I was there for Ripley School in pre-K, I guess, and then uh, Alcott. I went to Alcott Elementary, and then, um, yeah, and then, then we started moving. I moved out to California for junior high, then I was in the UK for high school, and then, but we, you know, my folks are, um, that, that's where they're from originally, is that is that area. Um, I just was talking, because I was in um Gloucester, Massachusetts, like this past week, and was seeing some folks who were living in Concord and grew up there. So, but that's wild. So you, for, from what age to what age? Because then our, I don't even know if we're the same age. I'm not sure. <laughs> I really um, don't know. Like, so anyway, I was there, I don't know, in the 80s. <laughs> so <when I> <laughs> me me too, me too. I was in the 80s. I remember wearing, I remember getting made fun of in Boston, for wearing a Patriot sweatshirt when I was in elementary school because they were so bad at the time. And I was made fun of in 
I feel like that would never happen. I don't know. I feel like that's so unheard of. Everyone wore Patriots. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, So, you know, Steve Carell, by the way, is like from Acton. Yes, I do. I do. I I think I would see him running. Uh, Where? In L.A., you mean? In in L.A. So I would see him like uh, like when I just first got out to L.A., I was um, teaching tennis for this like former big uh, UTA agent. And I think she lived like a few doors down from Steve Carell. And I always want to just pull over and he, but he always was like, he, he, you know, so I would drive by and be like, oh my God, you're a local, you're from Acton, I should say hi. And so I always wanted to be like, hey, we're from the same. And so I wanted to, every time I'm like about to do that, he just kind of looks at me like, what do you want? And I'm like, okay, uh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> give you a Michael Scott look. Well, so. That's incredible. So wait, what part of Concord were you living in? Because I might know. Like, where, where, what street did you grow up on? So Carlisle. So my sister currently lives okay. in Concord uh, with her kids. And she Amazing. is the new, yeah, she's the news anchor for CBS for the morning news. Oh so if you're God. ever. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, the most, so, it, it's one of the most idyllic places. And by the way, they just shot, of course, you know, what the, 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 the what do they call it? The scuttlebutt. Like the they were the the most recent thing that I heard about Concord was everyone's reactions when the whole cast of Little Women came to to shoot there, because there were folks telling stories about how adorable Timothy Chalamet was, like leaving his little cigarette butts around the property of some home that he was staying at with the Concord family. Just so sweet. Um, but you know, Concord, very special place. Right? It's such a special place. I, yeah. I feel so lucky that I grew up there. I mean, Carlisle was more of like the hippie town, you know, it was like the mm-hmm. the more free spirited, uh, like Concord. It, it, obviously, like there's so much history. It's like from the 1700s. And, you know, you yeah. like there was this one house that still had a bullet hole from the Revolutionary War <laughs> that they framed, yeah. you know, that you drive by. Um you know, first shot was fired, first shot heard around the world and, you know, but, uh, in Carlisle, yeah, there, um, it was the lesser known, like, uh, one, one town over and it was, it, you know, there weren't, it was a lot of people who wore Birkenstocks and we were artists <laughs> and, you know, I feel, <laughs> I feel like, uh, it was very naturey and there yeah, was like lush, yeah. lush yeah. nature and, um, there was, th- there was so many mosquitoes because they had uh, laws against pesticides for. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So and so, I, I don't know if that was the same for Concord, but for Carlisle, and so I'm sure it, was it was over. Yeah. It was overgrown <laughs> with mosquitoes that our newspaper was called the mosquito. <laughs> so really, uh, oh my god. Yeah, my dad would when he would um, when uh, he would mow the lawn, he would. He was he was such a weirdo, but he was always like kind of ahead of his time. He would be in a full netted suit, like a bee suit, but for like mosquitoes, so they couldn't like get him. And so you <laughs> see man this up like my own taste. Yes, I would do. I would <laughs> so, do the same thing. So you would because I mean the mosquitoes like literally the minute that you would you know put your the lawn mower all of a sudden all these mosquitoes would come up for the lawn and. He would yeah. be the smart one, and I, you know, me and my sister would make fun of him, like, "Ah, oh, look at this idiot!" But he was actually really smart because then we wouldn't yeah. be covered in mosquitoes. Well, Susie, this is it's so nice to meet you. Uh, I love that we connected over this uh, 
growing up in Concord. That's such a sweet, I, I know. Um, thanks so much for chatting with me today and sharing your time and your insights with me. And, you know, I wish you continued success and safety and good health. Thank you so much. If you listened all the way to the end of this episode, thank you. Hey, since you stuck around with us, why not go ahead and give us a subscribe? Or perhaps a sweet, sweet five-star rating. A nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality conversation in the future. You can check out our Patreon and our swag for more ways to support the pod. You can find both in our Instagram handle, at things are going great for me. Stay tuned, because we've got our season three finale premiering next Wednesday, including interviews with Beth Rye, and Darwin Shaw. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editors are Sierra Hauser and Leon Simone. All right, for you truly thorough listeners, here's a secret. In the beginning, I used to riff a little bit in my intros and outros, but I never feel confident that I'll stick the finish, and instead I'll just end up blabbing about nothing. Even now, what I'm saying, I, I wrote this down. I wrote this down. I wrote this down, too. It's just how I'm comfortable. I wrote that, too. See you next time.